Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Yeah, you're opening song 
you know what it reminded me of? Uh, the night before Martin Luther King was killed, he said, I, I, I want to live a long life. I like life like anybody. But uh, that's not most important thing. The most important thing is that we actually move this nation and the world forward. And if I have to give my life, then so be it. And, of course, he did. Very next day. Very profound idea. I mean, there is something about the idea of uh, of the sublime, the, the the concept that every one of us, every human being, whatever nation, whatever uh, race, religion, there's something inside the human being which is which is sublime in the sense that it's more important than life itself. And there are moments in history in which people have to sort of reach deep down inside themselves and find that which is actually more important than simply their physical life, which is what will they do? What will their what will the meaning of their life be long after they're gone uh, in terms of whether or not we deal with a crisis, which is truly, truly a crisis of civilization like we're living through today? You know, it's almost as if, uh, and you pointed out, it was, you know, the day before, it's almost as if it was a, a foreshadowing of sorts, as if maybe some some way uh, subconsciously, you know, he knew uh, what was coming. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, perhaps, uh, but you know, it is, as you said, you know, sublime and interesting that, you know, the day before he decides to make, uh, you know, that quote, uh, you know. So, yeah, yeah and then you certainly have uh, had your trials and tribulations. Uh, one of those with, you know, one of the people, of course, that's been in the news past couple of years, and that's Mueller, and we'll get, uh, you know, that later. And, and I do see callers in. You know, we'll get you in the show. Promise, it's a it's a long program. Uh, we'll have uh, Mike on as long as he's uh, willing to stay with us. But it goes to you know, just a little background about you know, again, what you've been through. Uh, your part in the uh, Lurish organization. Uh, what you're you know you're striving for there. Uh, and so you just kind of open the floor up to with whatever you want to begin with. Well, I mean, the you know, we've we've made a, a major campaign uh, to to President Trump to exonerate Lyndon LaRouche. Uh, the the fact of the matter is that the criminal uh, prosecution brought against himself, against LaRouche, and against several of us who were brought into those trials along with him. Uh, this was run by precisely the same people who have run the attempted coup attempt against. President Donald Trump over these last three years. It was Robert Miller, uh, who, as at the time, he was the U.S. attorney in Boston, and he was chosen uh, by the DOJ and the FBI and the people behind them, including the, those in, in, in the U.K. and Britain, in Britain, to run what was called the Get LaRouche Task Force. And he did. He signed off on the arrest warrants for LaRouche and myself and several of my associates and ran a massive campaign pretty much for exactly the same reason that Robert Miller was later chosen to run the Get LaRue, Get uh, Get Trump task force, the so-called special prosecutor investigation, whose purpose was to bring down the president of the United States on behalf of British intelligence and their associates within the Obama intelligence team, people that are now well known as, as Comey and Brennan and Clapper and so forth, who ran a coup attempt against the United States on behalf of the British. Why? Because Trump rejected the idea of the in, uh, inherent 
British imperial division of the world into the East and the West, that, that somehow America and the West uh, were forever destined to be uh, in conflict with especially Russia and China, that these were in the old days, it used to be godless communism against the free world. Well, there's no more communism in Russia, and what you have in China is not really communism. It's actually what they call socialism with Chinese characteristics, which ironically is uh, is running itself on the basis of economic policies that are far, far closer to the American system developed by people like Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and Benjamin Franklin than we are living under today in the United States. Uh, which Trump is in a certain sense committed to rejecting, but he's been unfree uh, to do what he wants, not only because of these crazy uh, Democrats who've gone into this tirade of of, of Russia, 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 and the impeachment, but because he's surrounded by neoconservatives in the Republican Party, whom he himself has openly opposed, uh, but yet he has had to hold back on his repeatedly stated commitment to the idea that it's a good idea to be friends with Russia, not a bad idea. It's a good idea to be friends with China, not a bad idea. And yet you have people like, like Mike Pompeo, who, like John, uh, John Bolton before him, are running around the world preaching that we should be prepared for war with Russia and prepared for war with China, that these are our enemies that the world is divided into these two unbreachable uh, different uh, forms of government and that we must therefore be prepared to fight. And underneath all of this is the idea that there are different kinds of human beings and that somehow those over there are different. Uh, They reject the idea that there's a common aim for mankind, which was the principle upon which America was founded. Uh, But they reject that. They say, no, there's no common aim for mankind. There's only geopolitics. It's us versus them. We have to fight each other to the death. Who's going to come out on top? The idea that there's actually a basis for cooperating of nations with all nations around the world based on fundamental ideas that are identified with the American founding fathers, which was that economic independence and economic uh, development based on scientific and technological progress are the commons of all nations and of all mankind. And when LaRouche came along and fought for that idea and identified the fact that the Kissingerians and the, <clears throat> and the, the neocons and the idea of uh, in being engaged in these imperial-type wars, starting with Vietnam and then in more recent times in the Middle East where the Bushes and the Obamas thought that it was okay for us to go over and absolutely destroy entire nations, Uh, and that we should give up on the idea of scientific and technological progress because uh, somehow we need to find a way to get the uh, most rapid uh, profits rather than the development of the long-term development of the nation, that we succumb to this kind of British ideology, uh, free market, free trade, rather than the Hamiltonian idea of actually committing to uplifting the productivity of the nation as a whole and, in fact, collaborating with the world. So when LaRouche came along, they went after him. They went after him in a way that we're now familiar with because we've seen the way they did it to Donald Trump and the way they went after Roger Stone, who 
as you may know, has repeatedly said that Lyndon LaRouche was the greatest mind of the 20th century uh, and made himself, uh, made, made sure, Roger Stone did, that Donald Trump was uh, familiar with the ideas and, and these concepts of Lyndon LaRouche. And that's why uh, Don, uh, Roger Stone was treated to the same kind of treatment that LaRouche was and that I myself was with a midnight raid from the FBI and, and CNN and so forth. And uh, trying to lock us up, trying to break break the uh, break the organization by putting a number of us in prison. But uh, you know, we wear that badge of honor. Uh, having gone to prison for the truth is far more important than having uh, copped the plea and, and uh, made it made it out of uh, of being prosecuted like that. So that's where we are. I mean, the the ideas that Larouche represented have been percolated through the country through our organizing over these last 50 years and they've now come to the fore and we have this unusual president who's not a democrat but he's not a republican either not really right he's uh, using the republican party for a purpose but he's an american he's not part of this two-party system uh, he wants to break the uh, the so-called globalization myth which is nothing but a new imperial division of the world uh, and uh, therefore, uh, our our ability as an organization, a small organization, but a highly influential one, to bring about the kind of transformation that this country is capable of carrying out under this president is is absolutely crucial. And they really, and, and in the media, when they talk about Stone, I mean, I've, I've never until tonight, you know, heard him, you know, mention Lyndon LaRouche at all. Then no one's made mention that you know he he has said that so unfortunately that that's never made it to the media, and you kind of you know, I was going to backtrack a little bit you know but you've already <laughs> pretty much answered that like why did they you know specifically come after I mean we can elaborate more on that what why specifically did they come after yourself and, and Larouche? Well, what ha- what happened was that starting in the mid seventies. LaRouche recognized that the the idea of what's called mutual assured destruction, you've heard that term, right? M-A-D, oh, yeah. uh, MAD. This is the idea that this is a British concept. It's that, look, the Russians can blow us up. We can blow them up. So we should make a deal that we'll never go to war because we realize that we'd both be blown up. And this is mutual assured destruction. Well, LaRouche said that's insane. That means we're permanently divided. We'll never come together. And in the process of this so-called mutually assured destruction, uh, the British dragged the United States into becoming a party to British colonial wars in Vietnam. Now, they had to kill John Kennedy first to do that. And in the same week, literally, they killed John Kennedy and they killed DM in Vietnam and brought in the military there under the thumb of the British neocon crowd and started this horrendous war, a war that we could not win and that we, of course, lost, and which probably did more damage to America than it did to Vietnam, even though it killed millions of Vietnamese, uh, both soldiers and and innocents. Uh, But that was the downfall of the United States as a republic, and we became increasingly part of this British imperial outlook. And this this included the economics, before that, under, under people like Eisenhower and Kennedy, we believed that what was important in our economy was that we were expanding science and technology, 
like Kennedy going to the moon within the 1960s because this drove this was a science driver and it had a tremendous impact on the rest of our economy it uplifted our productive powers we were committed to scientific progress and development and and conveying those technological breakthroughs to the rest of the world they killed Kennedy they got us into this insane Vietnam war you know they had a president in Johnson who admired Roosevelt but had absolutely no idea about foreign policy and was easily dragged into this de degenerate colonial style war against the Vietnamese uh, who uh, which destroyed our country and then it got degenerated more and more we ended up getting this massive drug destruction of our, our culture with the input of the kind of sort of rock drug counterculture um, free, free sex, free drugs, and degenerate kinds of music. We had a general cultural decay in the United States. And uh, the, the result was that we were just watching our nation and therefore the world degenerate into hell. So LaRouche said, look, this is insane. The sci we have a tremendous scientific and technological capacity. So do the Russians. The Russians have a problem because their communist system wasn't allowing them to have their tremendous scientific and technological capacity feed off into the industrial and agricultural sector. And he, he warned the Russians. And in fact, what happened was that LaRouche proposed the idea of what ultimately became uh, the SDI that Reagan called the SDI. We called it beam mm -hmm. defense. He said, let's develop a space-based technology that could stop nuclear missiles rather than sitting there aiming our weapons at each other. Uh, let's make nuclear weapons obsolete. And we actually wrote that part of Reagan's very famous speech on October 23rd of 1983, where he said, let's make weapons obsolete. He called it the Strategic Defense Initiative. We appealed to the Russians to work with us. And in fact, Mr. LaRouche was... Uh, uh, tasked by Reagan to a back-channel negotiation with the Russians for about a year before he actually made that, that announcement of the SDI. So this was our concept. Bring the world together uh, around the frontiers of human knowledge, of science and technology. Let's end this British division of perpetual warfare. Let's actually launch a new renaissance for mankind. This is what LaBruce proposed. Now, the people around Reagan, like Henry Kissinger, who absolutely opposed this, who were part, actually, of the British imperial design for the world, went berserk. And they called their friends at the FBI and, and, the, and the DOJ, and they said, get this guy. He must be a Russian agent. <laughs> mm, that sounds familiar. how they called Exactly. You know, Trump is a Russian agent. Anybody who doesn't agree with what we're saying is obviously a Russian agent. So he was called a Russian agent. He was called a communist or a fascist or a racist or any name they could come up with to, to poison LaRouche's ideas in the population. Front page stories in the New York Times and the, and, and the Washington Post and all of the what Trump correctly identifies as the fake news media. Uh, so we didn't have the, the, the power that, that Trump does. Trump has the power of being the president. He has this newfangled thing called Twitter. He's able to call these incredible rallies. In fact, he's having one right now in Arizona.
right. where he pulls out tens and tens of thousands of people, and he communicates directly with the population through Twitter. So he doesn't he doesn't care about the damn media, and we didn't either. But it meant that we were kind of uh, media lies and hype, and unfortunately, a lot of people either accepted it or they ignored it and many of us were put in prison i spent 10 years in prison uh larue spent five years in prison and uh, we're proud as i said we're, we're proud of having stood up for the truth against this but nonetheless it had an impact and people were they had more of an impact on the population than on us it meant that people were denied access to these ideas and all they were given all they were allowed was the crap that was peddled through the U.S. media and the degenerate uh, uh, entertainment, so-called, which became more and more nothing but uh, violence and, and perverse sex and drugs and a generally degenerate culture, which took, took form in America. And we now have that. I mean, you know, you're aware, I'm sure, and all your listeners, that we have the worst drug epidemic in the history of our nation, there's not a family in this country who hasn't had somebody in their family destroyed by these drugs. And we had a president in, in the form of Obama who wanted to legalize this stuff, and it's now legal around the country. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is a destruction of an entire nation. Uh, and you have to be willing to stand up and stand up against all of what's considered to be popular opinion and we're in an unusual moment in history right now. People are finally fed up with the perpetual wars that we had under Bush and Obama. Trump says he wants to get out of these, and that's why he got elected. He wanted to restore industry where we were sending our industry overseas for cheap labor, and he wanted to stop the perpetual wars, and he got elected to everybody's shock. And he'll probably get elected again um, for the same reason. But the, the problem is the population has to grasp the fact that you have people, even around Trump, and especially Mike Pompeo, who deserves to go the, ra the, the same road that John Bolton went correctly. Trump was right to get rid of Bolton. And as Trump said, if, I hadn't, if I'd been listening to John Bolton, we'd probably be in World War VI by now. <laughs> yeah, I remember him saying that. Which, <laughs> Which is true. These people are warmongering fanatics. And you, you watch Pompeo going around the world saying, China is our enemy. They're trying to take over the world. They're trying to take the world away from us. We want to rule the world, not them. Well, this is perverse. This is British ideology. This is the old imperial ideology that America fought a revolution against. We fought a civil war against it. We had to fight World War One and World War Two because the British dragged us into it. The British helped create Adolf Hitler because they wanted the Nazis to fight the, the communists in Russia, and they dragged us into that one. We had to bail them out again. There's no reason for any more of these perpetual wars in the Middle East or in Asia or anywhere else. It's time, as Trump correctly says but has not been able to do, because of the people around him, because of people like Bolton and Pompeo and Pence uh, and these neocons that he has had to depend on because he came in without anybody. He, he didn't have a political machine. He was just an unusual person who, who actually believed in what historically was known as the American system, but which we haven't known in this country for, for many, many, many years. 
and I would argue that part of the reason Trump has been able to carry this through is because of people like Roger Stone and others who were making sure he, he had access to the ideas of Lyndon LaRouche. Uh, and he has, because of the demonization of LaRouche, hasn't been willing to openly exonerate Lynn from this illegal pro- and, and de- degenerate prosecution of himself and, and our associates. But if he did that, if Trump today, and he pardoned a bunch of people yesterday, but if he exonerated right, Lyndon LaRouche, it would cause hysteria in the liberal press and in the neocon circles. But what it would do it was that it would allow the American people and people all over the world to come back and look profound ideas about the nature of man, about LaRouche, a great philosopher, an historian, a scientist, a musician, a person who understood that Beethoven was the greatest scientific mind in history. These ideas would become rich for every American and every citizen around the world. So it's, it's a moment in which we as a small, relatively small organization, but with networks all over the world, uh, have the potential of bringing America out of this decline into hell uh, and to make it possible for, for the president to actually carry through on his best impulses, which have been very good we must be friends with Russia, we must be friends with China, we must end globalization, we must, we must return to sovereignty. And he means that. He means when he says America first, he means America must be a sovereign state. For China, it should be China first. China should be a sovereign state. And he says that South too. America. Right. Yeah, he said exactly that. He says it over and over. And, but the neocons in the media ignore it. They say, oh, he's, you know, he wants America to be the lord of the world. Well, it's quite the opposite. He wants to end this imperial ideology of America being the new imperial lords. He wants to return to the sovereignty of nations working together for the betterment of mankind. That's his best impulse. This is the, this is the concept which LaRouche has unleashed in the world over these last 50 years until his death in February. But you know, but which we're trying to continue as best we can. Well, and a, and a couple of things, uh, you know, one is you, you mentioned, you know, Trump's not a uh, Republican and uh, I, I say he's like a populist. Uh, I call him a populist nationalist. <laughs> when, I'm like, you mentioned Twitter. I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot, but uh, that's how I kind of dubbed him as he's an, you know, a, as a populist nationalist, not really Republican because I don't think he is. Um, and then one question, uh, you know, that, and another thing I said, and this is back when Bush and, and Obama were in, in office in their administrations, because I've always been a supporter of the space program. And then once Obama, you know, he got rid of the, uh, the shuttle program. And then I've, I, you know, I told this stuff to a lot of folks and this was, you know, pre, you know, Bard's logic. And I'm like, you know, we could actually probably get back to, Putting the money into the the space program, if we weren't spending so much on these wars, you know, and on 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 terrorism and have to protect ourselves and things of that nature. So I was always I mean, I've been railing about that since you know, but you know, the the 90s and early 2000s, you know, you know about all the money we spent and all the 
the new cycles that we have there now, of course, all the new cycles are about you know getting Trump. But one of the things that I think for, for the audience is what they want to try to differentiate is you guys mentioned the idea of the, the four power agreement. Uh, so I'd like to go a little bit more into that and then how that four power agreement and what you're describing, how it really is different than globalism and, and what the, and the global right. agenda. Right. Well, let me say first, I completely agree with you on the space program that, that the best thing Trump has done is the Artemis program for going to the moon and establishing a base on the moon with which we can then go to Mars. If we're going to succeed on that, we have to achieve what, what LaRouche called his fourth law. He has what he called four laws. But the fourth law was that we have to have an all-out crash program for fusion power and for space colonization. You're not going to go to Mars unless you have a fusion rocket. You cannot go to Mars with human beings on board if you're using chemical propulsion and taking months and months to get there. You're going to be destroyed. Your body's going to be destroyed, and it's going to be difficult to get back. But if you have a fusion rocket, you can get there in a couple weeks. You can have, F, you can have acceleration halfway there and deacceleration uh, the second half so that you have a 1G gravity in your spacecraft. You're not sitting around in weightlessness all the time, and you also are not subjected to the cosmic radiation, which does fairly considerable damage to, to the body. So Trump has launched this program. Bridenstine's doing a tremendous job. And this is the first thing in this country since JFK said, let's go to the moon within our decade, that really inspires our children again. Our children have had no future. They've only had, you know, make yourself feel good. Decide which gender you want to be this week. Take your drugs, you know, get laid any way you can. This, this is a degenerate uh, lack of any kind of a future that we're providing for our children. So finally, Trump has restored this idea, which, as you correctly said, Obama just destroyed not only the shuttle, but the Constellation program and so forth. <clears throat> so... This is extremely important. And in fact, the four powers that you just mentioned, these are the four great space powers, Russia, China, India, and the United States. Now, other countries have space programs, Japan, Britain, others. But uh, the four great space powers Israel. who are now going to the moon and going to Mars are Russia, China, and in the United States. That wasn't the primary thing that LaRouche was thinking of. What he was thinking of, was that these are the four great cultures of Eurasia, the Russian civilization, the Chinese civilization, 5,000 years old, the Indian civilization, 4,000 years old, and these huge populations. And if you think of the United States as the representation of the best of European culture, at least what it was originally intending to be, the best of European culture, of Western civilization. If you bring those four cultures together, that is the minimum necessary to actually replace the British Empire, to actually have a new Bretton Woods conference in which you say this degenerate banker-controlled policy from the city of London and Wall Street, which says that the only thing that matters is profits, quick returns, how do you get the cheapest production? How do you get the cheapest labor? And instead return to a Hamiltonian concept that says your nation and your economy are measured by the productivity of your population, 
which is not measured in money. It's measured in the creative power of the minds of your citizens to develop new ideas, to make new discoveries of the nature of the universe, to to apply those new discoveries to machine tools, which increase the productivity of everybody. These are the ideas of the great American system of Hamilton and so forth, uh, which we have to restore. Uh, and to, to make that possible requires that we get Russia and China and India uh, and the United States together, especially Russia and China and the United States. Now, recently, uh, Vladimir Putin called for a meeting of the P5, the permanent members of the, of the, uh, of the United Nations, which would be the, the U.S., Russia, and China, along with France and Britain. Well, having them there wouldn't, wouldn't help any, I don't think, France and Britain, but, but at least bringing that five powers together would bring the Russians and the Putin and Xi Jinping and, and Trump together, all three of whom have repeatedly said we should be working together to end terrorism, to build a, a global financial economic order, to join with the Belt and Road approach that the Chinese have adopted to bringing technology to the third world, which has been denied them by the, by the British-style thinking of the IMF and the World Bank, which always said to the third world, oh, you're not – you're not at the stage of development for big infrastructure now. You, you, let us help you little brown brothers to get better picks and shovels uh, and, and so forth. And the Chinese went in there and said, that's insane. We've learned from our own experience where we lifted 800 million people out of poverty in 30 years. We did it by building infrastructure, just the way the Americans did when they built their economy, the way Lincoln built the Transcontinental Railroad the way Hamilton built internal infrastructure development. These ideas were adopted by the Chinese. They've built this most phenomenal high-speed rail network in the history of mankind, 25,000 kilometers. We don't have a single high-speed rail in this country. They have 25,000 kilometers, and they're still building. They're transforming their country, and they're taking this idea of infrastructure to Africa, to, South, uh, to the South, uh, Southeast Asian countries, to Latin America, and they're saying, we're not going to tell you how to run your country. We're not going to dictate to you that you have to follow our human rights this and human rights that. Uh, you do your country the way you want, but we're going to build, we're going to help you build your infrastructure and actually bring the potential for the first time after hundreds of years of colonialism and neocolonialism we're going to give you an opportunity to actually become a modern industrial country. That's why the Africans and the South Americans and the Southeast Asians love China. It has nothing to do with communism versus democracy. It has to do with development, with actually becoming modern nations, which America used to aspire to, but we no longer do. We've adopted this British ideology where it's all free markets, free markets, and we have this idiot, Pompeo, running around the world telling countries, you have, to, you have to not accept these Belt and Road policies from the Chinese. They're imperialists. They're trying to take you away from us. You have to stick with us or we're going to impose sanctions and we're going to you know, overthrow you like we are in Venezuela and, and, and other places. Uh, this, this, we are in a potential, if we build the kind of constituency for Trump to do what he says he wants to do, to work with Russia and China, 
that we can bring about a new renaissance for mankind, where we can truly bring the human race together, not for a Western renaissance or a Confucian renaissance or or an Islamic Baghdad caliphate renaissance, but a human renaissance that brings the common aims for mankind together at a moment in history in which the world is, is poised for nuclear war, we're poised for an economic explosion that could bring the whole Western world, at least, into total economic chaos. And yet we are at the same time poised for a total transformation into a new era where we do away with geopolitics and, and uh, uh, the idea of zero-sum conflict and actually bring the world together around the true common aims of mankind. So this is a, it's a tremendous moment. It's one in which, which we are optimistic uh, that uh, even though the danger is great, the potential for a total, uh, a, a new renaissance, if we think the way our founding fathers did, if we think the way people like Leibniz did, like Beethoven did, uh, that we have the potential for actually achieving a, a new humanity. It sounds like we're kind of, uh, I will get you um, uh, into the show. I got the, the callers here, but a couple of things is that, and Joseph, um, I know you're first, uh, but it's two things. Now, how does that differ, again, how does that differ from, from globalism, the way that, and you, you mentioned, you know, we're kind of at a, a point where I would like to say we're kind of in the middle of um, like a wave where we could either go down towards, you know, the trough or up to the crest. And that's kind of where, uh, illustratively, I would say that, you know, the, the world is at and in which direction we can go, where some would think, you know, you know, with what you're talking about, maybe that'd be more towards like the crest increase of humanity where, uh, you know, globalism would be more like you're, you're going down into the, the trough. What would the difference uh, between, you know, globalism and then what you're talking about? And then well, too, the globalists. Yeah, and until I want to bring up uh, about the, the credit the credit based system of economy, I want to bring that up too, and then I'll bring in Joseph. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's really the point. the The idea of globalization was that nations had to give up their sovereignty and accept a idea that only the so called free market, no government intervention, no government role, was the way of the future. Remember. When the Soviet Union fell, you had people like Francis Fukuyama and these neocons who said, this is the end of history. <laughs> Remember that phrase from Fukuyama? The end of history. Mm-hmm. Liberal democracy has proven itself the superior system, and henceforth there will be nothing but liberal democracy. Well, what did they, what did they mean by liberal democracy? They meant that the banks ran the economy, not governments. Keep the government out of things. Let the free hand of Adam Smith, the free market, let that run everything. Well, what does that mean? It means the banks run it. That's the way the British economy works. You have a parliamentary system in which the city of London, which is the area where all this, the, the, the Bank of England and the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank and all the big banks have their headquarters, they ran the economy. And in America, we had a revolution against that system. And Hamilton said, no, we're not going to have this damn monetary policy run by banks. We're going to create a creditary system where the government directs the elected officials run the economy. And their 
purpose and the 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 electorate has to make sure they stick to this purpose because you know it doesn't always happen but the purpose is to make sure that the credit of this nation the national credit is directed into those things that bring up the productivity of the nation as a whole what we in our in our declaration of independence we talked about the general welfare the idea that you the government's role is to make sure that the basic infrastructure is taken care of, the, the power, the water, the transportation, the health, the education, so that private entrepreneurs don't have to work. A private entrepreneur can't, can't make sure that the population is well-educated and healthy or that they have access to power and transportation. That's the government's job. That was the American system versus the British system which is that the government made sure that the private entrepreneurs had access to, to power and water and transportation and, and well-educated and healthy work people because the government took care of that. Well, that was, that was thrown out. Roosevelt was committed to it. Kennedy was trying to restore it. But increasingly after the Vietnam War, we lost the American system. And we were told, oh, no, we must defend the, the the independence of the Federal Reserve. Well, that's bunk. There, there should be no independence of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is a bunch of private banks. It's not a national bank. Hamilton wanted a national bank that was owned by the government. Private banks could have a, a, a piece of it. But it was governed by the government to make sure that the nation's credit was going into the productivity of the nation as a whole. Not, not who can make the most short-term profit. But how can you increase the productivity of the nation as a whole? That was the American system of Alexander Hamilton. So that was destroyed. We're now living under a British system, free market, free trade, independence of the Fed, no government intervention, let the banks run everything you want to run. And what was the result? The result was that the businesses were told, make the fastest buck you can. So if you... If you make more money by shipping your production overseas to cheap labor in Mexico or China or Vietnam, do that. To hell with the American people. Just look for the quickest profit. And the result was, was the mess we're in. And again, this is something Trump recognizes. But this, this idea of globalization is just a nice word for imperialism. You're allowing the central banking system centered in places like the city of London and Wall Street to have domination over sovereign republics. Same thing with, with the EU. What was the EU? It was set up so that a group of unelected bureaucrats sitting in Brussels who represented banks had power over sovereign countries. And I'll, I'll tell you something. When the British voted for Brexit, that was the beginning of a global revolution. You had the Brexit vote. Then you had Trump elected here. You had Duterte elected in the Philippines who rejected Obama's effort to start a war with China. You had other kinds of phenomena taking place around the world where people are finally saying, I've had enough of this globalization. We have to return to sovereignty where we work with other sovereign nations, but we determine our own direction based on the needs of the population. And that was the great breakthrough that created the nation state back with the peace of westphalia in 1648 when when the when the idea of the nation state came into being in 1648 with the peace of westphalia where they ended 
you know, 100 years of, of warfare in Europe, how? They said, okay, first of all, we need sovereign states where the people are the sovereign, not the kings. You may still have kings, but the people are sovereign, not the king. And you have to have a policy where the interests of the other sovereign states is our own interest. This was what gave rise to the modern civilization, to the idea of the nation state. This is what made Western civilization uh, great. It made it possible to have great renaissance and great science and great art and great culture and great nations. Uh, but, you know, this, it, it, it got subverted. And when the American nation was founded, it was basically founded on those original principles of the idea of sovereignty from the, from the Peace of Westphalia, which had been degenerated into kingdoms and, and British system uh, of, of basically the, the oligarchy through the banking system running countries. And we formed a republic based on those original principles of sovereign nation states. So now you, you ask the question, what's the difference between, between globalism and sovereignty? Well, sovereignty doesn't mean us against them. It means us working with them, but as sovereign states where we each have our own interests. Now, you know that the British go into a place like uh, Iraq and they say, oh, you're run by a dictator. We don't like you, dictator. You don't have uh, human rights and, and, and democracy. Therefore, we're going to blow you back to the Stone Age. And they got the stupid Bush administration to go along with this Tony Blair insanity. And we turned Iraq into a, a total disaster, which is still run by warring terrorist gangs. And then Obama came in. He said, we're going to do the same thing in Libya. We don't like Gaddafi. He's a terrible guy. Why is he a terrible guy? Well, he's a dictator. He's not, he's not a Democrat. Well, you know, Gaddafi, like Saddam Hussein, actually took care of his, his population, and they confronted the terrorists and kept them down. And in the case of Gaddafi in Libya, he was using much of that oil money to help the rest of the countries around Africa. They were peaceful. They, were, they had free medicine. They had free education. Their population was being educated. But you had the the uh, Saudi Arabia that was the dear friends of the of the British and the Americans were fostering this so-called Wahhabi ideology of, uh, of radical Islam and they were able to recruit handfuls of people in places like Iraq and Libya to r run a revolt and then the the British under Tony Blair and under idiots like Bush and Obama uh, got the U.S. to go in there and support terrorism. You know this guy, General Flynn, right, that's, that's mm -hmm. right now finally putting up a fight again? Why do they hate right. Flynn? It's because Flynn told the world that Obama was supporting terrorists. In order to overthrow Gaddafi, he put military and, and financial interests directly into al-Qaeda. We were supporting al-Qaeda to overthrow sovereign republics or sovereign states whether they were democracies or not, we supported terrorists to overthrow Saddam Hussein and even more so Gaddafi. And then we were trying to do the same thing in Syria against Assad, openly supporting terrorists. So when Trump came in and said, we're going to get out of these damn wars, we're going to stop these regime change wars, he meant it. 
he didn't say, you know, Obama and, and, and Trump were, uh, Obama and Bush rather, were supporting terrorists, but Flynn was saying it, and Trump brought Flynn in to be his national security advisor. So what happened to Flynn? Robert Miller happened to Flynn, the mm-hmm. same people that put yeah, me you're in prison. With them, huh? I sure am. Yeah, exactly. And Flynn is now fighting back. You know, he's now saying, I, 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 want, I take back my – the only reason he pled guilty was because Miller was telling him that we were going to bankrupt him and that we were going to indict his son. He says, okay, I give right. up. I plead guilty even though I didn't do it, you know. So now he's got a good lawyer, so he's fighting back. But we're, we're, we're very close to bringing this entire criminal cabal, the people like Clapper and, and Brennan and Comey, these criminals who were working with the British intelligence, with Christopher Steele and the MI6, to run a coup against the United States, we're very close to bringing these people on, uh, into the docket and putting them in prison where they belong. And it might even be Obama. Yeah, I hope that. so. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I certainly hope so on on that. I mean, cause, and and then I got uh, Joseph Zambianchi and uh, on if uh, I, I mean, how long can you stay with us tonight, uh, Michael? Well, I'm maybe another ten minutes or so. Yeah. Okay. Well, then. Um, yeah, we'll get we'll we'll, we'll get them on because uh, it's only about ten minutes and. Um, See if they have any comments or, or, or questions for you. Gosh, I definitely, you know, hopefully you'll be able to come back on the show. I'm, I'm sure there's so much more uh, that we could talk about. This is uh, certainly fascinating. I'm, there's even a lot more, I'm sure, a, a lot more of the onion to unpeel uh, as well. But let's go ahead and then bring them in. Uh, each guy's got about five minutes, and he, our, our guest has to go, and we can continue on with our, our conversation uh, for tonight. But first, we'll bring in Joseph and uh, uh, Bianchi, and we again we only probably have time for for those two for for our guests. And then I, I see others on the call, but you know, unfortunately, we won't be able to get you in on time to, to speak with Michael. But perhaps next time. But let's go ahead and bring in Joseph uh, from Hawaii. Thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you? Uh, always a pleasure. And I mean no disrespect to our guests, but I am going to go off topic. Um, and uh, only because I am watching or I have been enjoying the last two hours of watching the Democratic debate in uh, Nevada. So <laughs> I'm saying, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm ready to do jumping jacks. I mean, I'm just, um, I'm so elated. I'm so inspired. I, 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 I don't know. I just may pick either Cuba or Venezuela to live. I'm not sure. If Bernie will move with me, um, I may send him a tweet and ask him if he'd like to move with me or come with me to Sweden or something like that. But uh, I know my humor is not the best. But um, some of the topics of what the the guests had to say kind of fall in line with still election season. But this is the first debate where uh, former uh, Mike Bloomberg is uh, on the stage, which... By the way, he has the personality of a of a raccoon, which means he pretty much has no personality whatsoever. Uh, this is the first debate where Elizabeth uh, or Pocahontas is finally throwing the punches when she realizes that she's finishing dead last in, in the previous caucuses. Um, she's been relentlessly attacking Klobuchar, which is not the best strategy because Klobuchar is uh, very well respected in the uh, Senate uh, amongst our Democratic colleagues, and uh, of course Pete Buttigieg as well. 
And then you have Bernie, who uh, is, uh, as usual, uh, espousing socialism and the same boring, boiling talking points of Medicare for all and healthcare being a human right, but not explaining how he's going to pay for it. And poor old Joe Biden. Where's Hunter? Oh, where's Hunter? I thought he was going to come to the debate with the Where's Hunter shirt. Oh, I forgot <laughs> President Trump uh, forgot to uh, mail it to the right address. He probably got his residency incorrect. So uh, other than that, you know, I've skipped can a I, few. Can I say something stuff. about, can I say something about Mike? Oh, yeah, Mike, sure, as yeah. Trump calls him. Absolutely. We call him. And, and we I don't call like him. Oh, I, don't I want to thank you for real, real, real quick, guys. Real quick, being a guy, being someone who's five foot six, I really don't like the mini mic thing. I mean, I wish you'd find <laughs> something that has to do with his character instead of a, well, something that's I, genetic I that he has no control over. But go, go, we, go we ahead, have a better <laughs> Michael. Name. We have a better name, which is Mussolini Mike. <laughs> there you go. Or Mussolini Mike, if you want to get back into this small thing. Point is. What's not being discussed in that debate, I watched the, some of the first hour before I got on this call. What's not being discussed about Mike, they're attacking him because he's a de- degenerate, racist, misogynist. They're going after all that, the billionaire who made his money looting the population, who said these crazy things about farmers and, and machine machinists. You've all heard this stuff. I mean, he's a degenerate person. But and 95 year old people with cancer. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, why keep uh, let let grandma die? You know, we shouldn't be wasting money keeping old people alive. This is this is a, a euthanasia genocide. The guy's sick. But more important than all of that is that people are not going to acknowledge who he really is. He and the head of the bank in England, Mark Carney, are the two leaders of the green fascist movement. They call it green finance. This is based on the lie that carbon is causing carbon change and we're all going to die if we don't starve carbon, which, you know, carbon, by the way, is the food for plants. It's the basis on which agriculture prospers. The more carbon, the better. But it has nothing to do with the climate, virtually nothing. And all of this climate change nonsense has been created out of by the British Uh, who used eugenics, who used uh, the World Wildlife Fund and the Club of Rome to try to convince people that the problem is people. We need to do away with people. There's too many people. We need to stop progress. It's the old British ideology, the population backward, and you actually uh, impose poverty on people in order to maintain the oligarchy. But who is Bloomberg? And Mark Carney, the head of the bank in England, are the people now saying that we are organizing the world banking system, the city of London, Wall Street, the central banks, to cut off credit to anybody, any industry that has a carbon footprint. No more money. Bloomberg is proud of the fact he's shutting down all the coal industries. Well, it's not only going to destroy America, but... 90% of the energy in Africa is from coal, and only half the population even has electricity. You cut off coal, you're talking about mass genocide. Nothing less. And that's their intended (laughs) purpose. They want it. They want to decline, to reduce the world's population. These are people who openly argue that the only problem really facing mankind is that there's too many people. 
These are sick, uh, oligarchical mentality. And Bloomberg was literally the head of the UN Special uh, Agent for Climate Action. And when he decided to quit that post and become a candidate for president, Mark Carney, the head of the Bank of England, took over that position. We're dealing here with the leading international financial oligarchy imposing genocide on the world through this false argument about climate change, who are in the process of literally shutting down credit for industry, industry throughout the world. Not only coal plants and oil plants and and gas plants, but any industry that has so-called, quote, carbon implant, carbon footprint, I meaning automobiles, machine tools, uh, transportation, anything. This is an attack on human survival being run under this guise of so-called climate change, which is a hoax, a fraud, and, and that's who Mike Bloomberg is. This is. That's why we call him Mussolini, Mike, because he is uh, basically imposing an overtly fascist policy uh, of, uh, of total control, uh, and he and, and his banker friends are getting away with this, and he's only running for office. He's not going to make it because he's such, as you said, he's, <laughs> I like your, your raccoon reference. But the fact of the matter is that he's spending his billions of dollars to try to undermine Trump at the same time that he's uh, making sure. The reason they hate Bernie, as they they hated him back in 2016, you know, the Democrats ran a scam against Bernie. Uh, The the release by by WikiLeaks of the uh, emails from the Democratic National Committee was not done by the Russians. It was done by a Bernie Sanders supporter at the DNC who downloaded those emails onto an e-drive, a thumb drive, and got it to to WikiLeaks. Uh, And they then made up this story about how the Russians did it, which is really ironic because suppose the Russians had done it. What are they accused of? They're, They're trying to undermine our democracy. Well, how were they supposedly undermining our democracy? by getting the truth to the American people that the Democratic Party <laughs> cheated Bernie Sanders. That undermines our democracy. My God, if our population knows the truth, then you don't have democracy anymore. <laughs> it's sick, but it wasn't the Russians. The whole Russia thing was a hoax. It was a fraud. It was done by, as I said before, that's why I got put in prison. That's why I spent 10 years in prison, because they ran this fake thing about we were Russian agents because we were promoting the idea of working with the Russians to develop a space-based anti-missile defense system. Uh, this is the Robert Miller, Wall Street, British crowd. So in any case, that's who Mike Bloomberg is. Uh, we want to expose the real truth behind Bloomberg, just as you brought up the story of Joe Biden is not just uh, his son Hunter being corrupt. It's that Hunter Biden was Obama's hitman for for Ukraine. They openly financed a Nazi coup. They opened financed the Svoboda and the right sector and the Azov Brigade, these these literal Nazi militias who carried the, the in their they carried posters of swastikas and of Stepan Bandara, who was Hitler's uh, Ukrainian buddy. They carry his picture when they ran the overthrow of the Yanukovych government back in 2014. This was a fascist coup run by Obama and by Joe Biden 
And he, then, of course, he was corrupt. He put his son on, on, on Burisma's board, Burisma's board being one of the sponsors of these Nazi uh, militias. Uh, and then they say, oh, well, Russia's to blame. So therefore, we have to have a war with Russia because, because they're supporting the people in Ukraine who do not agree with this Nazi coup that was run by, uh, by Obama and uh, Victoria Nuland and Joe Biden. So these, the, the deep state stories behind all of these things are what people have to really uh, get access to. And again, this is why it's so important that people have access to our executive intelligence review, our intelligence service, and to the whole LaRouche, the LaRouche idea. We exposed that Ukrainian coup absolutely. It was run by the Obama administration, George Soros, by the National Endowment for Democracy, openly supporting fascists people who explicitly believed in the Hitler doctrine, throwing out Russians and Poles and Jews and, and, and having some sort of supranationalism amongst Ukrainians. Uh, and, you know, now that's, it's been overturned because the new government there, it's got its problems, but it basically was elected with 70% of the vote because people recognized that this neo-Nazi government that they had was destroying their country. So now we have the potential of building up a real alliance with with Ukraine and with with Russia, not not against Russia, with Russia. And, you know, just so much to talk about. We didn't talk, you know, talk more about, you know, about China. Cause I, you know, I was reading, you know, a lot of the articles and things of that nature doing some, you know, show prep for tonight. There's a lot more that could be uncovered and, and, and talked about for, for Russia. Um, Pianca, I apologize. I don't know if we'll be able to get you in for uh the, the speaker's our guest but i mean that's and you kind of help, help bring in what the title of the show is tonight you know is, you know who faces a greater threat to america china or the deep state uh and that's you know you know what we're talking what we're talking about tonight so that's a good uh good segue i know i mean i didn't you know you only could give us about 10 more minutes one one last point and i will definitely like to have you back on the show is um last week we had uh, Daniel Burke on. He's running for the independent LaRouche candidate in New Jersey. And one of the questions I want to I want to pose for him is, uh, I don't know if the if it's a, an official party, but if so, you know how every party has a uh, a mascot. And I don't know if the you know LaRouche Independent Party does, if, if, you know, if this one. But one thing I was thinking is, now don't take the last part of this this you know mascot, you know, is. Is what you usually think about vultures, but um, I'll think it's called the Repels Griffin Vulture. Uh, would be, in my opinion, and I'll tell, say why, would be a good uh, mascot, I guess, for maybe the Larissa Independent Party. Is that it is uh, a bird that can fly the highest of any other bird. It can fly up to 37,000 feet. So, you know, being into the space program, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> so I thought that might be an appropriate. Uh, mascot for them because you know you guys really support that and and that is uh again what, you know what was uh, the second word the, highest. Re- the repels what it's called the the ruples or it's r-u-p-p-e-l-l possibly f griffin vulture it's an endangered griffin. species actually okay i'll look it up yeah, i don't it's, think it's we have to be able to uh, fly like thirty-seven thousand feet <laughs> right 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 yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. But yeah, we certainly want to would like to have you back on uh, when you can. Again, I know there's a ton uh, yeah, still more really that can be talked about. Yeah, we didn't really talk much about China. 
I just mentioned, yeah, if we do get another chance, I'd be glad to come on because the China thing is very, very important. All this anti-China stuff. You know, a lot of people who support Trump in general listen to Fox News. And Fox News, is, uh, people like Tucker Carlson did a lot to expose the Russiagate hoax and so forth. But the guy is just absolutely crazy about China. He's just completely bought into this. China is the devil. They're out to get us. They're communists. This, it, it's, it's mind-boggling because here's a country that was one of the poorest nations on earth under, uh, under for, for various reasons, but also because they had this Maoist leadership that believed that uh, it, they didn't do much to bring the country forward. But it's now completely transformed. In 30 years, they brought seven to 800 million people out of poverty. They built the most scientific and industrial productive nation on Earth. They are taking a lead in space. They're the first country to land on the far side of the moon. All right? And then you, and you get all this garbage here about how their people are enslaved. They don't have any freedom. One of my friends once said, you know, a guy came up to me and said, how can you support China? They don't have any freedom. And he said, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they don't have any freedom. Why? You know, they even make their children do their homework. What dictators? <laughs> you know, they're not allowed to smoke marijuana, and they can't even see pornography on the Internet. Why? There's no freedom there. How can we bring freedom to these people? Well, you know, they do have very uh, tight control over the Internet, and maybe there's some problems with that. But let's, let's look at the more serious problem. What are we going to do about our country where our kids spend – six, eight, ten hours a day on the Internet watching pornography, watching violent video games where they learn how to kill each other, uh, where they have no, no sense of beauty. No, they're not encouraged to study violin and piano and to, and to listen to Beethoven, but just to, to, you know, the kind of noise that's called popular music, this ugly noise. We have a, a whole nation that has been deprived of any access to beauty. They don't know what beauty is in art, in music, in culture. Uh, so that's the problem, not what do we do about China, which is doing a lot to bring the human race out of this backwardness and into progress and development. Uh, and they're going to develop their own economy. They're going to develop their own form of government. It's going to change over years. They, they constantly say this is you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics. It's, uh, they have restored Confucianism in China, which was crushed under Mao during the so-called Cultural Revolution, where the, the Confucian tradition, the historic classical tradition was crushed. And they've broken out from that. They've restored Confucianism, which is more like Christianity. The great Christian fathers, people like Leibniz and Kuza, recognized that Confucianism was, uh, was, was uh, extremely close to the, to the Christian idea that every single human being is born in the image of God. Uh, and unfortunately, many of the uh, pseudo-sects in the West that may think of themselves as Christians don't really believe that. They fall for this idea that somehow there's racial purity and and that, uh, you know, not everybody is equal under God. Well, they are. 
Uh, and, and we have a potential for the great cultures of every part of the world, the great Christian culture of the Christian Renaissance, the great Islamic culture of the Baghdad Caliphate in, in the 12th century, which, which actually was based upon some of the Platonic thinking from Greece that they rediscovered, the Gupta Renaissance in India from, from the earlier era, and the great Confucian Renaissance uh, from the 12th century Song Dynasty. You bring these cultures together, and you basically bring the best of each culture and repress the periods in every culture where, where there was degeneracy, then you have the potential for doing something truly wonderful for all mankind and making this an era where for once and for all, we do away with the era of imperial uh, design where people are like children throwing mud at each other and having wars, and we reach the adulthood of humanity, where people have a basis on which they can collaborate for the betterment of each other. Uh, there's no reason that we can't achieve that. It's very possible, and we have to aspire to nothing less uh, if we're going to succeed. So and, uh, I'm not sure yeah, about another the thing. Griffin vulture, but but I'll I'll definitely look into it. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be, that was that's, that's, that's pretty neat. And then, you know, two things, and, you know, I know you got to go. Of course, you're welcome to say, but um, one is it sound, I'm, I'm a big Star Trek fan, and, and when I, you know, read, you know, things of what you're talking about, it really reminds me a lot about about Star Trek, even when we're talking about, you know, the credits. And I know we didn't get a, uh, time to talk a lot about, you know, the a credit, the credit system. Uh, but one thing I'd like to address when we do talk about China is a lot of folks, when it comes to the space program and their concerns, Again, we hopefully we'll get be able to get you on again. I mean, we're, we're welcome to whenever you have time. Uh, is that a lot of folks think that the reason why you know they're increasing their space program is because they're actually weaponizing space so that they can, you know, have a program where they can disable our satellites. You know, that there's going to be any type of you know upcoming war with you know between the United States and China. I know there's a lot of people who are concerned, you know, about that. Say, well, they want to, you know get in the space or win the next space race China does so that, you know, they can militarize it in order to, you know, have uh, space dominance. And so remember they got their, like their hundred year plan or something like that to actually be the new world superpower or only world superpower is what a lot of folks well, are it's just, concerned All about. of that is just the fantasy world of the British neocon crowd. Eisenhower said long ago, nobody wins a nuclear war. And it's just obvious there's not going to be a war. If there is a war, anybody who thinks that we should think about how we could win a war, we can't win a war against China or Russia. They can't win against us either. It would be hell. Any war is going to be a thermonuclear war, and we won't know civilization as we know it today. So there's no point in fantasizing about whether they want to dominate the world. They don't want to dominate the world. They want to be have peace at home so that they can continue their, their growth and their prosperity. And they're taking that idea to the rest of the world, as our country once believed in but no longer does, which is that we should be taking our technology into Africa and South America and Asia. Uh, and it's time that we join them and have joint development projects. There's no reason we can't. I do have to get off, but I'd be glad to come on again some other week and, and discuss the China issue in more detail. That's really 
my 10 years in prison were spent to a great extent studying uh, Confucian traditions and Chinese history and comparing them to the Christian Renaissance in Europe. So um, it's yeah. dear to my heart. So maybe but another certainly, time. And, and, uh, uh, definitely. Last quick thing, 10 seconds is, if you ever watched the movie The Martian, uh, they do talk about oh, yeah, how you yeah, know the, about the guy on Mars. Yeah, I did watch that. It was a very, very fascinating movie. Yeah, where they they kind of helped out with some rock, some you know the, a, a rocket or yes. something to be able to help out the Chinese to, help to get the guy off the Mars. Guy so. that was stuck up there. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate well, you coming on and also spending the extra time with us too. Okay, thanks. Good to be on. Thank you. Good you, night. You too. Have all. a good night. We'll talk in. Take care. Okay, have a good bye. night. Well, yeah, it was great. It's great to have him on. I'm looking forward to having him on again. Um, I know he had to go. He, he spent an hour and 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes more than what he was going to. So about another extra 25%, which is awful nice. And I do apologize, uh, you know, not being able to spend more time with some few guys. Again, have a, he had a lot to say and a lot more. And again, we'll get we'll get him on. And uh, yeah, of course, I'll be prolific in, in my thanks for for having him on him coming in and, and spending extra time with us. Cause I definitely want to, I think it'd be good to have him on for, for the both of us, for, for both uh, him with, for our audience, of course, for, uh, for us, but let's go ahead. on. I see uh, you're back on the line. Just if we'll open up your mic, but uh, I didn't get a chance to hear from uh, Bianchi. So I'm going to go ahead and get him in uh, three or four. Uh, thank you very much Bianchi, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, I agree with his assertion. My answer to those questions would be the deep, deep state first, before I would say China. But that deep state is—they're doing a lot of damage. They have been doing a lot of damage. And one thing I don't understand is that when you have these people in your graph, you don't go ahead and eliminate them. It's kind of like the same mistake we made in the Mexican-American War with De Santo Anna. Let him go. He come back a week later and fight you again and kill your troops. So, deep state then China. What do you think about that? Well, definitely the the deep state. And I do. I, I you know I think well yeah. I, I mean at this point for our republic certainly. I think uh, the enemy within a lot of times is more dangerous uh, than the enemies without certainly. Uh, and now whether China really is uh, our enemy or not. That's why I want to talk to him more about it. I mean, I was reading a lot what they were saying, so I'm kind of getting it from both sides. You know, p- folks who are who are pro China, um, or at least you know pro not going, <laughs> pro not against China, uh, and then those who are like, hey, look, they're our number one enemy. Which for a longest time, I-, I believed. You know, China. I mean, I have a book. You know, the upcoming China wars, and you know, you do hear about, and that's one of my concerns that I hear is that they're actually looking to militarize space. One thing I want to talk to him more about. Uh, but, you know, we ran out of time, is that uh, what they're saying, well, they're not one, you know, they don't want dominance. I, I still don't know if I, I, I you know, I subscribe to, to his part yet. That's, uh, I want to hear more, you know, about that and see more uh, evidence uh, contrary to what my current, uh, at least my current belief. I'm not 100% in it, but that's, you know, where I'm leaning. Uh, that'd be a good way for me to put it. So that's how I'm leaning. How well, they really hmm. do want to have, you know, you know, world domination. But that maybe that's because I grew up pretty much, you know, in a in, in a realism perspective, a realist pr- perspective. Uh, so well, you know, the, uh, the military is in a space. You remember a, f- 
about a decade ago, I guess, China shot, uh, destroyed one of its geocentrous satellites in space. And people said they were sending a message at that time that they'd done that. So, yes, that is a possibility. You know, that's on their radar also. And uh, it reminded me of a, a Clint Eastwood movie a long time ago uh, when it had something to do with the uh, nuclear weapons missiles uh, being on a ship in space. But uh, anyway, I say oh, that yeah. these states... Um, that, yeah, that was... Um... Oh wait a minute! It was it had yeah he he was on there Clint Eastwood he's an older guy it was um oh my gosh oh man well um, you know what I'm having a brain freeze but I know exactly the one that you're talking about because um, they were actually supposed to go up there just to kind of fix the satellite and they found that um it's not a satellite I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the movie is but go ahead yeah I can't remember either but that's my uh, opinion and from you know, I like to watch and keep my mouth closed and my ears open. And when I lay it out on the table, that's what I see. These are individuals that we've seen in the last three years, uh, actually before that, going against Donald Trump. And uh, it's just terrible. Uh, you see what has happened to our school system. You got young uh, students that's uh, basically denigrating the United States presently and also United States in the past. So. That's my opinion. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. Oh, well, we'll keep your mic open, and we'll um, we'll bring in uh, bring Joseph Beckett. Space Cowboys uh, was the name of that. I knew, I knew the word space was in there somewhere, but it was Space Cowboys was in, in, in 2000. And real quick, uh, just for bringing up what the I, and I, I want to bring up SDI because I didn't know that the United States and Russia were working on SDI together. You know, to not have a nuclear war, I thought it was just us. And that's kind of how we won this Cold War. I mean, again, that's why I want to have these conversations with them because I want to make sure that I've got the correct understanding of it. Because my understanding was is SDI contributed to the downfall of the Soviet Union uh, because they just they couldn't financially afford it. And that, even though SDI was not real, they thought it was, and so that was you know used as a deterrent. But him kind of mentioning, or at least it sounded like he mentioned that we worked with Russia on that. I want to clarify that, but again, we did have time and hopefully uh, the next time about, but the military, you know, weaponization of space is that he said, when no one wants a nuclear war, but what the concern is, and hopefully we'll cover this next time is if they controlled space, then our nuclear weapons wouldn't matter because if they can, you know, because once a nuclear weapon, especially a, a intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missile, when it's fired, it actually goes into space and then goes to the you know wherever its, its target is. They have satellites that could shoot those missiles down, or as they have uh, electromagnetic pulse weapons that could just shut them down or shut down our power grid, or or, or destroy our GPS uh, capabilities. Then us having you know us having all the nuclear warheads that we have is a moot point because if. If they control space and they can be able to control the satellites, then you know it doesn't matter. Well, you know I mean, another thing too: if you're taking down a GPS, uh, planes won't fly, even in general aviation planes, because everything now is going to GPS. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm old ham. I'm old ham radio operator, so I keep those dudes dusted off and ready to go just in case. <laughs> 
But yeah, so I mean, so I mean, so that's that's a concern. That's definitely a thing you don't want to talk about. And he said that you know that might just be what the neocons are putting out there to have people might like myself be concerned about China. But yeah, that's again, that's why we want to have a more. Maybe once we have more exposure uh, to people, then you know maybe that would alleviate those concerns. But let's go ahead and bring uh, Joseph back in. Uh, thank you very much for co- uh, calling back, Joseph. Uh, and I do see other callers on the line. If you want to push the number in the night, yeah. When the number dialer will get you in, uh, but go ahead, Joseph. Thank you. Um, I tend to disagree um, with uh, China not being a threat, and I'll tell you why. You see, uh, in many ways, his, uh, people have still not learned from history. And when people say, well, if we have a third world war, it'd be a nuclear holocaust, yes, it would be. And then a person would ask, Who in their right mind would ask that? Well, does anyone remember Adolf Hitler? The man who started World War II? The man who exterminated over 6 million Jews? Over 50 million lives lost? Imperial Japan? Who were crazy enough to attack Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, thinking there wouldn't be any reprisal? The uh, former Empire of Japan during World War II, who went into countries like China and Korea and raped and murdered and massacred many people, which is still on the level of um, war crimes. Well, there you go. Um, You have a a madman running a country. And when you have madmen running a country, see, they don't see things the way a normal person or a rational person would see. Uh, Classic example uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Now, he wasn't bluffing when he was saying he was going to push that button. But Donald Trump did became the very first president to do what no other president has ever done with North Korea. And that was to actually come to the table and really sit down and be the first president to walk on North Korean soil. Now, for many years, the Chinese have been manipulating our currency, have committed cyber warfare against us and are very close to having the largest GDP uh, and is the second largest world economy. These are facts. These are facts that are supported and validated. These are not my opinions. These are not conjectures. And the scary part is it's not just China that's our enemy. We have a lot of common enemies that have a whole arsenal of nuclear weapons with their leaders that would be crazy enough to, yes, push the button, without realizing that it would create a nuclear holocaust. Iran, Russia, North Korea, the Chinese who have failed to even influence North Korea to, you know, clamp down on their nuclear arsenal. So um, I disagree. Um, I think you'd have to be out of your mind to want to fantasize about actually going to war with another country because war translates into death, collateral damage, and a lot of innocent people losing their lives or their lives being affected permanently in a negative way. So I think you'd have to be not rational to fantasize about that. And yeah, you know, the neocons, yeah, okay, we have the neocons, but Robert, I ask you this, what what does that have to do with the, the track record of, of uh, China's human rights, which they are the worst 
perpetrator of violating human rights in the world? How about all these years that previous administrations did not make the attempts that Trump did, but all these years they've had the capacity to uh, influence North Korea to come to our table, but they chose not to. And you know what all the previous administrations did? Absolutely nothing. And that is why China has grown into the second largest economy is because all these previous administrations, Republican and both Democrat, were weak on a foreign policy standpoint. It was the Iran deal in 2015 by Barack Obama that basically gave Iran the pass to say, oh, you could chant death to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. On paper it says you're not going to make nuclear weapons, but we're not allowed to check the sites. We have to ask permission ahead of time, which – Common sense, I think a five-year-old could put it together. Geez, if they're not going to allow us to make inspections when we choose to without having to notify them, well, who, who's calling the shots? Iran. I mean, that gives them enough time to easily, you know, because we have to ask their permission. How crazy is that? We're, how crazy is that to negotiate with an enemy and say we have to ask permission ahead of time and let you know in advance when we're going to be viewing your nuclear sites? So, and then we have Russia as well. So we have a lot of enemies knocking on our door, all very powerful arsenals, but not rational people running their countries. Because if they had any ration, if they had any rational whatsoever, Robert, do you really think Iran would have been crazy enough to have attacked our embassy or attack our ships in the Harmon Straits? realizing that our military might would decimate them in three seconds. Same thing with North Korea. If they filed a ballistic missile, the closest state that it could get to and the only state it can get to is Hawaii. And if that were to happen, forget it. It would be less than 24 hours, I guarantee (laughs) you. We are the only state that can get affected by it. I guarantee you America's might would go flying in there like in two seconds. So – Exactly, and, and that was the premise of the Cold War, right? See, but what many people don't realize is the Cold War was not a bluff. The Russians weren't bluffing. The Russians were serious. They were ready to push that button uh, in the Bay of Pigs when they warned John F. Kennedy, if you come in and attack Russia, I mean if you come in and attack Cuba, we will nuke you. And they were serious. That wasn't a bluff. If anyone thinks the Cold War was just a bluff on each side, no, it wasn't. We all knew, uh, people knew what the risks were entailed, and we all know that the inevitable is nuclear holocaust. It's the end of the world because if they attack us, we're going to retaliate. Now imagine Iran, Russia. If you have the uh, capability of retaliation. That's what I'm concerned about. The, exactly. That's why the, the people are concerned about the, milita- the Chinese militarizing space because what if you don't have the Absolutely. capability of, of, re- of that? Absolutely. Responding? I couldn't agree with you more, Robert, but I am an open-minded person like you, so I am open to the guest coming back, and you know, if he has anything to say to that, hey, I'm open to that. I'm not a closed-minded person, but he didn't back up what he was saying, not 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 substantially. He couldn't. Uh, I I I didn't feel that he backed up what he was stating 
um, in, 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 in going on the record that China is not a threat and, you know, this is just a conspiracy with the neocons. Now, next time if he comes on the show, and um, uh, I thought he was a really great guest. He had, he, he had a lot of great insight, and I'm grateful that he came on to your show. Next time, back up what you're going to say with substance, especially if you're going to talk about a very, very hot-button uh, international policy issue such as China. Because at the end of the day, you know, if he can't back it up, I mean, like I said, fact. China is the number one one of the number one countries in in uh, violating human rights. Fact: They've been manipulating our currencies for years. Fact: They've been committing cyber attacks on us for years. Now, if those are not our enemies, God, I, I I'd really be afraid to 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 see who our friends are. And 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 it's not a fantasy, believe me. Uh, I, like many Americans, wake up every day and I put on the news and I'm praying that that nut, King Jim Young, didn't decide to push the button and let that missile go. Or Putin didn't decide to push the button. You know what I'm saying? Or or, or, or the leader of Iran, uh, the Ayatollah, didn't decide to push that button because they're crazy enough to push that button. The difference is we're not. We will never initiate a, 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 a nuclear holocaust, but we will. Defend ourselves if need be, and I'll I'll defer back to you, Robert. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I agree a lot with what he said, you know, about the, you know, about the the British Bank, uh, you know, and British Empire. I mean, I really do think that does exist. I think that being a small nation and, and having the appearance of not having a lot of power, I mean, I think that may be a facade. Uh, now on that, I agree with. I'll, Again, on this stuff on China, that's why I want to have China be our, our focus uh, the next time he's here. I mean, was, I mean, he talked about it, a, you know, a lot, but and he thinks it's, um, you know, he don't think it's not a threat. And I do. I would like to hear more, you know, evidence on well, well, why isn't it a threat? We just didn't have, uh, you know, enough time from the come on. I mean, to to go over that. Cause, I mean, he's trying to, you know. I uh, get a lot of information just to, on the hour that, you know, or hour and 15 minutes that he stayed. But, yeah, I, I'm sure he'll come back on, and, and you know, we'll, we'll definitely have this uh, have this discussion if I am interested in hearing, you know, the evidence, uh, you know, to, you know, the backup, what he, you know, what he contends, uh, you know, is, is true when it comes to comes to China. But, you know, you know whether they really do want to work with this or not, but I even, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not convinced of that right now. You know what, Robert? Uh, I agree with this person. Uh, I don't think Russia is going to attack the United States. But I think China is building itself up to the point where it could. Whether or not it would, I don't know. Uh, China doesn't even have a Blue Seas Navy as of yet, to my understanding. But she's working very hard. <clears throat> but I still say that deep state, which is probably collaborating with both is a dangerous element that needs to be rooted out and taken care of. But I'm going to go with that and, uh, you know, pray that uh, we can live in peace and look forward to tomorrow. Well, and, and you know, certainly, I mean, because, I mean, I like, you know, that's why I have, uh, and I'm going to play this audio. It's about um, about 10 minutes. I'll mute over our mics and, and, and bear with me. I was, I, let me uh, get that keyed up. And it's, it's, Actually, an audio of uh, a town hall that our guest we had uh, last week, 
was on. I mean, he he was on for a long time at his town hall, and I just, just took a one one clip on it. But that's kind of what I like, you know, about him and, and him and his running is that, you know, as you said, it's, it's optimistic. I mean, we need we need some more optimism, you know, on. You know, then what we've got going on, you know, it's always global, you know, global climate change. Of course, you're destroying the planet. And then we got all this stuff going on. Uh, you know, as our discussion tonight with China and Russia, it's like, well, it'd be nice to have, you know, a positive outlook on what the future could be. And I think that's where he's at, uh, where, you know, I'm hoping truth is. The same as is what their their wishes are. I I mean I don't know, um, you know if it is. I mean it would be nice because it is a very optimistic view. Do I think it's something that has possibility? And, and, and sure, I, I think I think it does. You know for us to have the, those four nations, if not more, you know working towards, you know a, a mutual uh, you know agreement with you know working together for like let's say you know better technology, getting us to uh, the moon, getting us, you know, over to Mars and things of that nature, working on nuclear fusion together, get all the, the you know, the, the, the brightest minds to do things. And it is a very optimistic, very hopeful view other than what we're seeing now. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's what I like about them. And that's why I think we, you know, it'd be great to have a leader. So if anybody knows any, well, I mean, you, I mean, you're in Missouri, Bianchi, I think, uh, is that correct? And then we've, you're in uh, Hawaii, Joseph, so I don't know a lot of people in, in New Jersey where, uh, you know, Daniel Burke is, is running, but I certainly wish that, you know, we could get, you know, m- more folks, you know, that are, you know, more positive, uh, you know, trying to put you more, you know, positive, optimistic things out there. Uh, and so let me, uh, I got this keyed up, and I'm, again, I'm going to mute even my uh Mike, while I play this, and this is again, this is from, and then I'll bring you guys in for comment. And anyone else who's on the line, if you want to comment too, push the one, your number down, we'll get you in. Um, and then this was, yeah, this was a town hall that just had about uh, about four days ago. So I'll get that uh, that queued in. Oh, so enjoy it and get to know get to know what we're what we're so enthusiastic about. Um, <clears throat> so. You've seen my slogan, we choose to go to the moon and Mars. Our species is becoming a space-faring species. Because representatives of the human species, many nations, many people, were going to space. Twelve people have walked on the moon. How long before that's 100? Or 100,000? We will need them if we're going to industrialize our moon and use it as a base to expand the human species into the solar system and the galaxy. Two nations have landed on Mars. How long before it is five? A hundred. Humanity has, since 2013, gone beyond the edges of the solar system into interstellar space. The Voyager 2 probe reached there in 2013. So we are not earthbound. 
we are going out to discover what it is that we do not know. We're going out into the galaxy because that's where we live. We live in the galaxy. So we're breaking every limitation that's being set against us as a human species. Meanwhile, the unloving representatives of the modern-day British Empire jeer and grouse. They say, you can't do that. That's too big. You've got to think smaller. They say, the future of the human race doesn't lie in the stars. You've got to be practical. You've got to be realistic. What they really mean is give up like we did, give in to the old way, give in to the old paradigm of imperial wars, of economic catastrophe, of witch hunts and coups and assassinations, you know, the, the good old days, right? Uh, but the people of the United States, they're not buying it anymore. They are not buying it anymore. And the nations and the peoples of Eurasia, the people, uh, you know, the Russians, the Chinese, the people of Asia, the people, the nations of Africa, the nations of Central and South America, they want a different approach. So the next era of human history, of universal history, demands a more noble and a more beautiful human identity. So we can look at the NASA astronauts who are going to go around the moon in 2022. The astronauts who graduated just a couple of weeks ago who are going to land on the moon in 2024. And we, and I mean human beings across the world, we can think about them and we can look up at the moon with our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. And we can say, this human species can overcome every limit. It can solve any scientific any economic, any political problem if we devote ourselves to the expansion and the development of the human creative identity. That identity is the one upon which our nation was founded, upon which our success depends. Against the competing idea of man, which is presented by the city of London and Wall Street, the Lord's of the British Empire. And that idea is that man is a kind of a worm that wriggles painfully in the bowels of the earth. Man has no business in the galaxy, according to them. So I think I'm not alone in rejecting that. We are on the brink of a victory against this over a global oligarchy. Uh, the, the modern day Zeus acting on the same oligarchical principles which our founding members of our nation fought against and overthrew. It's the same exact principles we're up against today. Our founders who launched a worldwide breakthrough in republicanism, in a statecraft that is based on the idea that every person is born with a divine spark that every person is born in imago viva Dei, in the living image of God, and that government must be established, which is underpinned by that truthful conception. 
So the character of the victory that we seek against this oligarchism is that governments of sovereign nations have got to get together, they're going to get together, and they're going to make agreements about what they have in common about their interests, about what are those things that are best for all of humanity. That's what they're going to do. What common interests do we share over 30 to 50 to 1,000 years? So is it free trade and globalization? I just saw Lyndon LaRouche, he did this hilarious joke. He said that free trade is like an open marriage. You, do, you don't know who the father is. <laughs> because it's the subversion of the will of sovereign nations by a group of speculators who are trying to gain the system for their benefit, who organize, who organize the system to their benefit and to the detriment of humanity. So our common interests are galactic. That's where, that's where our address is. And each sovereign nation and each sovereign culture wants to contribute to that because that's human. And so the universe is laid out before us like a big banquet. And we're all, you know, looking at these beautiful things and delicious things to eat. Uh, so no one wants to gnaw on a bone in the corner, right? And if, you, if he's got the table set and you're letting the food get cold, that's very, very rude. So we have to go and, and enjoy this banquet that's before us. And if we want to deal with that kind of future and the science and technology that will arise from a galactic mission, most importantly thermonuclear fusion power, then we need the kind of identity where we work together as nations to solve the big problems. The coronavirus. So there's a neocon beast man named Senator Tom Cotton who wants you to believe that this is a Chinese virus. So he thinks that when you put it under the microscope, it says, Ni hao. <laughs> and uh, he... <laughs> No, this is not a Chinese problem. This is a human problem. I want to quote from Michael Osterholm. Osterholm, uh, Osterholm. He's a prominent uh, public health scientist at the University of Minnesota, and he said this week, quote, trying to stop influenza transmission is like trying to stop the wind. Nothing in our experience gives us hope that we can halt an emerging worldwide epidemic spreading person to person like this coronavirus. It appears that on average, a case transmits to two people. After 10 doubling generations, which takes just 60 days, that original infected individual has started a chain of more than 3,500 cases. Effective vaccines are many months, if not years, away. End quote. We need major, we really need this. This is not some kind of, uh, you know, this is not the typical political rhetoric. This is just honestly what we need physically. We need cooperative efforts between great powers to solve this crisis. We have to manufacture an adequate supply of medical equipment. We need to create the needed vaccines. We need to take measures to prevent the virus from spreading into areas like India or Bangladesh 
where health infrastructure is woefully inadequate and poverty is rampant. And my wife just uh, just uh, mentioned to me this morning that there's reports that there are now coronavirus cases in African nations. So we need to decide right now what we're going to do to improve the physical economic conditions that cause susceptibility to this type of virus. And that emphatically includes the United States. Look at the crisis of locusts in East Africa. There are enormous... And I just, I just cut it off uh, at that. I, I was even going to cut off of the coronavirus, but that is something that, you know, is hitting big. And I also thought it was... Uh, it, you know, you know, relevant to our conversation tonight. And and Bianchi, uh, I guess I had to go because we 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 lost this call, but we still do uh, have yourself on uh, on the call, uh, the talk there. And you know, we do got uh, others. Uh, got another caller in eight four five or anyone else on there. Push one on your number dial. We'll get you into the show. Uh, but did you want to add anything to that or any other comments on that, uh, Joseph? Uh, yeah, just just a couple of comments. Um, and, and 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 don't 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 get me wrong, Robert. You know, um, in an ideal world, we don't want war, we don't want famine, um, we don't want atrocities being committed. But we live in a very um, doggy dog world. Uh, it's been like that since the beginning of time. Uh, one of utter chaos and uh, one of unfairness. And um, to be very frank with you, um, it's because so many people gave the pass to China, to Russia, to North Korea, um, for all for for over thirty, forty years. It's it's why they have been able to build up their arsenal. And I'd love to have an optimistic view, of course, but I've always been a pragmatist. I always have and I always will be. And there comes a time where, yeah, you know, sometimes we want, it, we want to have that peace of mind to go to bed at night, kiss our children and our loved ones and say, yes, tomorrow's going to be okay. Nothing is going to happen. You know, we're going to live to see tomorrow. But at the same time, you know, my view is, you know, enough of that has been going on since the LBJ administration, since JFK, and look what that has resulted in is resulted in these uh, enemies of ours built, having the ability to build up their stockpile, uh, to build up their armies uh, to the best of their abilities to where they still pose a global threat. And so at the end of the day, what I find fascinating about Donald J. Trump and what I will agree with the uh, speaker who was on that um, uh, tape recording that you played was Daniel we have Burke. to have a different approach. What's his name? Uh, Daniel Burke. He's um, oh, running Burke. for yeah. He's running for the Senate, U.S. Senate, uh, in New Jersey uh, right. for the uh, Independent Lawyers Party. Well, I agree with him. We have to have a different approach. That I agree with him. And to be honest, Donald J. Trump has given that different approach, and I think that's why his enemies loathe him even more. Is because he's been successful in not burning the bridges with China. He's taken both the diplomatic approach and, but also 
letting them know that, hey, don't mistake our kindness for our weakness. And he's, and he's brought the president of China many times over to the White House. And he's done what many other administrations failed to do, which was to, do, to, 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 to uh, have a different approach. All the different administrations, they, they followed the, the generic lines of, oh, let's meet at a summit, we'll have a little state dinner, we'll talk a little bit, but after that, nothing else will get done, right? Donald J. Trump became the first president in history to touch North Korean soil. And he has been able to greatly influence Kim Jong-un in a way that no other previous administration has been able to do since he has uh, claimed power, since his father has died. Um, Another thing is when we retaliated and we uh, killed, uh, uh, what's the general's name? I I forget. Right, exactly. And then the next day, Iran shot down one of their airliners. You had people protesting in the streets for the overthrow of the Ayatollah. Now, judge Donald J. Trump by his actions. He were seeking war. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been convenient to put boots in the ground, invade Iran, and overthrow the Ayatollah once and for all? Get rid of the threat, right? But he realizes and he campaigned on this, he's not going to put human lives in jeopardy unless need be. And that's not the approach that he's going to take. And that's not the approach that, that you know, um, he's going to take whatsoever. Uh, but he was justified in taking out uh, um, the general, uh, Rouhani, uh, because he did attack our embassy. And one of our one of, well, United States citizens was killed, un- unlike the Barack Obama administration who allowed that travesty that will forever live in infamy uh, in, in um, Syria, um, you know, uh, Benghazi to be exact, right? Where you mm-hmm. had uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the attack of the embassy and, and you had four Americans who died and they had the boots on the ground. Obama had the ability to get people there within an hour and a half. He didn't push the button. The difference is Donald J. Trump did push the button, and he was justified in doing so. But he did it without starting a war. That's the difference. And so I believe that that approach is being taken, but President Trump realizes that these countries are threats, and the truth is the truth, good or bad. But we cannot continue to look the other way because it's going to make us feel better. Because tell me... If we do have a nuclear holocaust, hypothetically, and we find out that on Judgment Day, kind of like a Terminator movie, right? When Skynet, you know, takes control, the machines take control. It's kind of like a Terminator theme if you think about it, which is actually one of my favorite movies, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. If if you think about it, you know, yeah, nuclear holocaust is, is preeminent. It, it can happen at, 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 at any given time. But, but we can't take our eye off the ball. We, we cannot give the past that we've given the past to these countries for so many years that have emboldened them. We have to put our eye on the ball because how do we explain to the next generation that we had a chance to contain our enemies? We had the chance to, not, to, to stop their growth 
but we chose to want to look the other way to make ourselves feel better and, and pretend that they're not a threat. And I think that's the difference in Donald J. Trump. He is unlike any other president in history, the fact that he doesn't think like your average politician. He thinks along the lines of reality and logic and, pra- and being a practicist. But at the same time, he's not the type to take his ball, his eye off the enemy. But at the same time, and I'll leave you with this, I can give our other callers time to chime in. He's also not going to just sit there like previous administrations did and just call a bluff and enable these world powers to continue their growth and their expansion to one day, who knows, like you said, Robert, very valid. If China gets the space before we do, then we can have all the nuclear arsenal we want. We will be rendered ineffective. And I guarantee you, if that day ever comes, China is not going to say, well, United States of America, we won the space war. No, we're just up there to explore science. We want to land on on Mars. No. No. They want to make sure that they become the number one military might. Now, I can't speak to the neocons, and I can't speak to other people that I don't know or I haven't heard. I can only speak to myself, the fact that I know, and common sense and logic, and a record to run on. And if you look at Iran's record, Russia's record, China's record, North Korea's record, even the word that their citizens, that these dictators are trained in to say, death to America. America's our enemy. My God, they, they, they pretty much raised their babies to hate our country. Now, if those are yeah. not the actions of an enemy, like I said, I'd be afraid to see what the actions are of, of a friend. And I'll defer back to you, Robert, so I could give other people uh, a chance to uh, chime in. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And we'll keep your your mic open. We I do have uh, see other callers in. Just push the one on your number dial uh, when you like to go in. But one uh, programming note is that there is about five minutes left of uh, the uh, portion of the show where if you, your call drops, you will not be able to get uh, called in. So if you are uh, just make, you know out there, and I do see there are some, uh, make sure that you do not lose your. Uh, you know, lose your, uh, your your line, or also, unfortunately, won't be able to call back in. Uh, but when you're ready to call, you know, chime in if you like. I just push the one on the number dial, and I'll get you back in. But yeah, that's gonna happen. We're gonna go uh, into the extended period, or what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. Uh, but again, if you unfortunately, if your call drops, you won't be able to call back in to so make sure those phones are charged. Uh, now, uh, yeah, and so that that's kind of my concern. That's why I want to talk more about China. Uh, with uh, with them because I mean they got they definitely have uh, an optimistic view and maybe a different view uh, of of China. I mean, I mean he studied their history. So I mean, I mean I'm, I'm I he probably is more versed on you know China than I am. Uh, I just go off of you know what I read. You now I full disclosure. I mean I haven't done like a thorough study or spent years. Uh, you know I haven't spent years you know, studying. You know Chinese or their history or culture, but I'm I'm just going off again. You know what I know, and that is, 
you know, the, again, with, with the with the space race, we we have to win it. Um, regardless, let's if, if the if the Chinese are going to be peaceful with us, and maybe we could do you know uh, cross uh, sharing of technology, then great, you know that'd be that'd be awesome. But if not, we still need to be prepared to be in there. You know, we've all heard the phrase, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and so be prepared. I mean, one of the things that I keep hearing from, and I know this is going to cause a lot of consternation, especially with our, our good friend John, that, you know, one of the things that's keeping us from, uh, you know, from being able to get things done in space is it's funding. And we're not, I mean, they, they've got the Artemis program, but it, it's still not, it's not being fu- fully funded. It's, it's just, it's just not. Uh, hopefully, and, and my hope is, is that once Trump's reelected, that he could speak more, speak more of that. Uh, because unfortunately, you know, right now, because of all the, you know, all wars and, and this going on and that, with all we got to spend our money on this, spend our money, you know, there's going to be people who are going to be decrying, oh, we can't spend, you know, that much money, you know. But the thing is, is what they don't think of the people I think who are against uh, investing. You know, yeah, it's with tax dollars, right? But I mean, that's that's what they call anything, right? They're investing. So there's, I mean, there hasn't been any other quote unquote investment. Uh, that's done better uh, historically than the space program, where for every dollar that is spent on the space program, technologies are created that, you know, created that create. I don't want to use, I don't want to be redundant, but you know, those different technologies created because of you know research into the the space program and going out in space is six to ten times you know the investment. So every one dollar we get back. Six to ten dollars. I mean, I mean, what? Where else can you, you know, put an investment? Even with uh, the the four hundred one ks being as they are, I mean, you're still not going to get that type of uh, return on investment. So I, I don't think I think that's a lot of um, a thing that a lot of people do, you know, don't understand on on how important that is. I mean, I mean, even some of your basic things today are because of space program, you know, microwaves, Teflon, bulletproof vests. You know, I mean, these things are from, you know, uh, te- you know, technologies for keeping warm, like for people who live in uh, the Arctic and things of that nature. I mean, because, you know, you have to have suits to protect you, you know, from going out in the space, you know, for the cold. Uh, when you talk about we need uh, the technology for nuclear, fu- you know, nuclear fusion uh, so that what they can, you know, have what they call zero gravity or not zero, one, you know, 1G. Uh, you know, on the way to uh, to Mars, because right now you just do you know some short bursts, you know, from the liquid fuel, but there's just not enough fuel to go the, the millions of miles. I think it's like 65 million miles to the to Mars. Uh, but what you could do is you could do for you know a, a time. You said a couple of weeks, but I don't know the exact numbers on that. Uh, where you know you, you're accelerating, then you decelerate, and, and again, I mean, but think of the technology, think of the energy. If we can harness the energy of the sun, you know, and, and nuclear fusion, from my understanding, is less radioactive uh, as well. I mean, so look at all those technologies uh, that could come up. Think of all the jobs that could be created in, in building those new, you know, those new facilities and, and, and working at the new facilities. The security that those those facilities would have to have. I mean, the the job creation alone 
for creating these two new technologies to to colonize. I mean, I mean, think you're gonna. I mean, you have to have construction. You have to have construction. You have to have infrastructure uh, in order to to do that. So I mean, it, I mean, when you're talking about you know investments, I mean, it, it is that. I mean, people will be working. <laughs> you know, be it'll be create. It's actually a job creator uh, to do that. So I, I don't understand why there there would be so much pushback. And so we are officially now in uh, Bard's Logic after dark. And so, yeah, so if, unfortunately, if your call drops, we will not be able to get you uh, back to the show. Uh, but one of the things we're going to turn to, uh, and of course, uh, you know, if you have any, you know, funny or, or naughty things, Bard's Logic after dark. But on a serious note, <laughs> um, one of the things we're going to get to is, of course, in our, uh, a couple of people mentioned it tonight, were the debates. Uh, you know, if you're a, a continued listener on the show, is that a lot of times we'll even have some audio from the debates and discussion. Now, I haven't seen not one question uh, from the debate, and you know, I know our guest just said he watched the first hour uh, before coming to the show. I, I didn't even get the opportunity to to do that. Uh, but one of the things that you know, you know, Bloomberg is on stage, right? So he actually bought his way, uh, in a lot of people's opinion. Now, now, how you could go from nothing to be fifteen percent is kind of, I find kind of interesting, you know, because I don't know how much I trust polls anyway, whether good or bad. That's why I don't talk a lot about polls. Um, but for Bloomberg to just throwing what four or five hundred million dollars out there in ads was create was I find it interesting how it was enough to get into the threshold to be able to get to the debate. I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, one of the things that, you know, when I play tonight, and, and, and I mean, I've heard about it, but Kelly brought it to my attention. Uh, and of course, farmers, you know, the, the comments that he's made about farmers, uh, Bloomberg. And also, and I got an audio I'm going to play. It's just about a minute and 40 seconds clip, minute 41 seconds, where, you know, he, he talks about, you know, about farmers all easy. I mean, anybody can learn it. You know, it just kind of gives you the mindset of Bloomberg. And, and again, I don't mean, I don't think it really matters who Trump, uh, is going to, you know, I guess be his opponent, you know, for the presidential. I mean, I really don't think it's mad. I'm not saying it's in the bag, you know, as Trump said his rally, you know, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, competition. I don't know if he's the word competition, but, you know, but, you know, but I can't keep saying that. Anyway, so let me go ahead and, and play that. I'm being redundant. I guess I need more coffee. But anyway, th- I mean, it's kind of give it a flavor. I mean, you may have heard some of this before, but it's actually the first part that, that rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, the, the farmer thing, too, of course, especially to, uh, you know, Kelly. I mean, his family, you know, you know, farmers, so I'm sure they uh, took, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of offense to that. And, I mean, I don't want to be a snowflake about stuff. Especially when I mentioned mini mic. I mean, the, before I play a clip, I want to make this little tirade here. The mini mic thing has to go. I mean, for one, you, you're going to turn off a lot of people. And, and I, you know, I'm not a snowflake. I don't let snowflake name calling bother me. And I know that Trump likes to do nicknames for everybody, but mini mic's got to go, especially when he talks about mini mic uh, because he's short. Now, I, as you know, I'm a short guy. So, again, I'm not trying to be snowflakeish about it, but I do feel kind of offended because it's like, look, I mean, if you're going to call him Mini Mike, I don't really have a problem him, them calling him Mini Mike. It's the reason behind it. I mean, it's genetics. You know, but you can't really if you're you know if he's Mini Mike and you're you're saying it because he's short and you, you oh, don't step on any boxes, which I think is childish. But it's look, that's genetic. There's nothing that you know 
he can do about it. There's nothing Mike Bloomberg could do about his height. Now, if you call him mini, Mike, because – and we'll get you in a moment, Kelly. Um, I'll get you in after I play that audio. Uh, if you want to call him mini, Mike, because he has small ideas you know, you know, or something like that, then, yeah, many, I, I'm, I'm fine with mini, Mike. Oh, he's got small ideas, you know, or he's small-minded or something like that. But, but doing something, because, you know, making a nickname on somebody for a, a predisposition that genetically there's nothing they can do about, I, I just, I mean – I just think it's it it, it it looks wrong. I mean, it's the the optics of it. And I know people are like, oh, well, Trump just does it. And I get it. I mean, that's why we like him. You know, a lot of us, the reason why a lot of us like him, you know, and maybe this is he finally says something that actually, you know, offends me a little bit. Um, and I'm sure he says stuff to offend other people. But when he says, you sleepy Joe, well, I'm like, because he's going to have a slow drawing and this or that, you know, it's not something about, you know, he was. Uh, you know, again, genetically predisposed. That's like for him to make fun of somebody because they're, you know, they're black or they got, uh, you know, they're albino or you know, what, what if somebody's albino? Would they say, call him, you know, you know, Whitey Rick or something? Or I don't know <laughs> because he's an albino. I mean, that's nothing the guy, you know, or, or, or gal could do about it. So I mean, I think those are bad nicknames. I mean, some are apt. Pocahontas, and it's not, you know, it's not because she's, you know, or. You know, if she's actually Native American, called Pocahontas, is because she claims she was, and she really isn't—at least not much. Um, so, I mean, so those type of nicknames make sense. You know, Sleepy Joe. Uh, you know, uh, what, what's the one for Bernie Sanders um, that he has? I don't even know the one for for Sanders. But I mean, as long as they fit either their character or one of their stances or something like that nature, I mean, that makes sense to me. But to, to make uh, those type of nicknames for somebody just due to their height, uh, just I, 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 the optics of it are bad. And, and even you know, and I said it, it kind of offends me. Even though I'm, I try not, again, I'm you know trying not to be snowflakeish about it. But I mean, it's it's just it, that, that that that's too petty, and we don't want to be like the Democrats. But let me go ahead and play this 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 quick audio of Bloomberg, and then I'm going to bring Kelly in. Evan caught on tape saying some pretty shocking things about the elderly, even advocating for health care rationing. Well, you show up and you have prostate cancer, you're 95, you know, you've lived a long, nice life. Go enjoy, have a nice day, live a long life. There's no cure. We're not going to do anything. Wow. Now, he forgot to say, unless your name is Mike Bloomberg and you have billions and billions, I don't think those rules will apply to him. Sounds like a death panel to me. As you can see, the smug, out-of-touch, elitist attitude pretty much extending to everyone everywhere. By the way, especially true among Americans who work with their hands, the heart and soul of this great country, suggesting, oh, farming isn't a real skill. Well, you dig a hole, you just drop a seed in it, put the dirt on top, and, well, up comes corn, popping rows. Take a listen. The agrarian society lasted 3,000 years. And we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300. You could learn that. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's built around replacing people with technology. And the skill sets that you have to learn are how to think and analyze and that is a whole degree level different 
you have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray matter. That would be... You know, the gray matter stuff, I really offended folks. But basically, we know what gray matter is. I mean, it's your brain. So basically, you have to have more brains in order to you know, be uh, what, whatever he said. But let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Good. I uh, Well, I'm sorry for not coming on earlier. A neighbor invited me over for dinner, and we're watching the debates, and I I fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, tell, tell us more about those debates because we didn't get a chance. I'm sure I, – I, we, and what we might do is – I mean I might get some audio for next week because unfortunately uh, I'm still waiting for a response for some people about getting guests for next week. So as of right now, tonight, I don't have a guest lined up for next week. Uh, so maybe we'll talk about, you know, current events and, you know, maybe the debates, but we'll 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 see what happens. I, I've got somebody in mind. I've been trying to – a couple of people actually. One was a, a prior a guest, but now that she's going to be wa- working in Washington, D.C. Uh, for the Department of Defense, I don't know if she's going <laughs> to – <laughs> I don't know. She's going to uh, come on the show just like Matt Bevin with a bunch of governors. Kind of hard. I mean, I, I kind of get it, but it still kind of you know, rubs me in the wrong way, to be honest. It's like, okay, while you're while you're running, you know, you, you come on the show while you're running for governor, you're running for, in her case, city council. Uh, and then once you get in your spot, I mean, she even come on while she was a city council person. Uh, but I, I don't know what happened with, 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 with me and uh, Amy Murray. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, go ahead, Kelly. So they really attacked Bloomberg. Um, that was like list to watch. I mean, they were roasting him. His record was, you know, um, harassing women and other things. He kind of made some excuse. Well, you know, I kind of told some dirty jokes, and that's just the way I was raised. I'm like, what's dude? He someone oh, they pounded him. And then, uh, you know, so I actually fell asleep twice, but I did catch quite a bit of it. And uh, Bloomberg, uh, they asked him about his health care plan, and he was like. I'm listening intently. You know, I just had a nap, so I'm listening intently. I couldn't understand a word that he said. You know, uh, he sounded like uh, Boomhauer from uh, King of the Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, about I that, couldn't that, get any of that audio there. for you. It, the, the show already started yeah. when you brought that to me. Oh, what? Hello? No, I'm here. Go ahead. So, so, yeah, so he sounded like Boomhauer from King of the Hill, like, Oh, you know, I ask him what the, it was so funny. So I, I, I call Bloomberg Bloomhour. <laughs> you can't understand that guy in his light tower. But his comment today, I, I, I was watching a video while I was working and uh, about this thing about farms. I was so furious. I couldn't think straight. I had to get up, walk around a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this guy out of your mind? Well, you dig a hole, you plant a seed, you add some water. Uh, no, first of all, you don't dig a hole. You prep the ground. You also, well, you do the fall, you plow. Sometimes you disc in the spring. But So then you run your, your planter, which is, it, it, uh, it it's like a little V-shaped thing. It goes through the dirt, dumps the seed according to how the, the gearing is set. Chunk, 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 chunk. The seed goes, I mean, we're talking hundreds of acres of corn. And you don't water it because in the Midwest, Iowa, you're talking about Iowa. That's where I'm from. That's where he's an Iowa farm. We had a massive garden. We had corn, soybeans. We had cattle, sheep, pigs. My dad at one time had 2,000 head of cattle. My uncles, my friends, we were all – I was furious. Now, he doesn't think we're smart. Do you need some gray matter? 
oh, and by the way, in Iowa, you don't have to add water because nature does it for you. And we're like the top producer of corn. Sometimes Illinois uh, beats Iowa in corn production, but it's pretty much corn. You're hitting right there, man, heartland. So you're going to bite the hand that feeds you, Mr. Biden? I was furious. <laughs> oh, I was so furious. I tried to go back to work. I was so furious. And thinking about my mom, my dad, oh, they'd be both these furious. Their parents are farmers. I mean, I do come from a long line of Jewish hog farmers and stuff, so I know how to farm, okay? But it's like, dude, you're so out of line. I mean, there's soil technologies and soil improvements, and it's not just – just it's not just the farmers who feed the nation that you're offending. You're also offending the people that help the farmers, like those people at John Deere who – and I have friends that work for John Deere. He's still working. A guy named Kevin. He was raised on a farm. He's an electrical engineer. Oh, my gosh. And I have a degree or two in engineering. You didn't call me stupid. I filed patents, wrote a book. I've solved a fluid mechanics equation. It's very hard to solve for my purposes. Anyway, you call me, call me stupid, and you're going to call my brother a doctor, radiation oncologist. Doctor. He was raised on a farm, and he, he's stupid. Are you going to call him stupid? How about all my friends? They're some of the most loving, amazing people you ever met. Meet you know the Midwestern folks are just very kind, loving, amazing people, and you're offending people that work to support the farmers who feed the nation, like the man, the, the people that work at John Deere in the in the factory building things. You're offending them. The implement dealer that's, that sells equipment and the whole towns and communities that 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 support farmers. I mean, truck. Okay, uh, what's his uh. There's so many in- chemical industries, okay? Fertilizer, boom. You got a whole bunch of people that work together, but the farmers want to get the work done. But guess what? You're offending everybody involved in it. How about my uncle? My uncle's raised on a farm, fought in World War II. Neighbors I knew that fought in World War II, older men. How about my uncle? He uh, he was Iowa farm. He flew in a bomb. He was a bombardier in a B-24 over Germany. He got hit with shrapnel. Came back from the war. He had to have a glass eye. He went back to farming. Vets that were from the farm. Joe, uh, I, I couldn't believe Biden. No, I'm sorry, not Biden. Um, I Bloomberg. couldn't believe Bloomberg. Bloomhauser. I couldn't believe he said that. Jeez. Oh, it, it, I certainly. Mean, he, Mike, we'll get you on the on the on the call. But go ahead, uh, Kelly. You just lost Iowa, Illinois, or maybe Illinois, Missouri, Minnesota, the Dakotas, Kansas. Oklahoma, Nebraska, and a lot of California because, yeah, the Central Valley of California is huge in agriculture. We are we become an agricultural state, the Golden State, meaning gold mining and gold. Forty Niners, you know, Super Bowl. We got that from the Gold Rush of nineteen forty or eighteen forty nine. Turned agricultural. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, you guys probably grow a lot might, of like yeah. oranges and stuff. I would think. Oh yeah. I, he might as he might as well have said a racist comment. That's the blowback he's going to get. I, I just, jeez. And by the way, um, do you really think it would cost him California if he ever became the uh, nominee? No, it's not going to cost him California because you have. It's going to weaken him in California because look, if you didn't come from a farm, you born in the city, fine. How about your parents? How about your grandparents? How about your great-grandparents? How many people had ancestors who were farmers? Jeez, you're going to insult my ancestors? Phew. What is, I just, this is mind-blowing. Um, by the way, did you, did you say 
uh, when you were talking about Joe Biden, did you did you say uh, Sleepy Joe or Creepy Joe? Well, I thought I said Sleepy. Well, I think Hannity calls him Sleepy Creepy Joe. I don't know. I'm, I'm not much in the. I'm not much of the, the name calling stuff. Whether it's Hannity, whether it's Trump, I, I just not. I mean, just that's just not my thing. You know, I mean, it's uh, like. I mean, I think it's. I think it's kind of petty. I don't like doing it. And the, the mini mic really rubs me the wrong way. You know, I'm like, okay, he's short. I mean, genetically, he can't do anything about it. Sleepy, creepy. I get it. Maybe sleep. Maybe creepy more than sleepy because creepy is for all. You know, from actions. So, I mean, those things, Pocahontas, because he's like, ha-ha, you're not really an Indian. I mean, I get that, you know, but to make to, to make fun of somebody for a, a genetic uh, predisposition that they really – there's nothing they could do about it. I mean, I, that, I, that I find petty. And, and, you know, I normally don't say stuff, you know, of, you know, about Trump and what he says and tweets and this and that. But, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that's over the pale. I mean, may, may, may give somebody a, a nickname off of – their character or something they do, not something that they they can't control ever. Huh, that's interesting. I mean, as I said earlier, I don't know if you're on the show, uh, but that's like, that's like, you know, saying, you know, Whitey Rick for somebody who's an albino, you know, (laughs) he's an albino. Oh, look at Whitey Rick (laughs) or whatever. I'm just like that. That wasn't, you know, I mean, they can't do anything, you know, that they're albino, you know, (laughs) Or or pale pale Sarah or something or I don't know anyway Kelly and then, and then Mike I guess you're on deck yeah Kelly well um, who was it somebody on Fox was saying you know it looks like it's going to be Bernie because he's pulling ahead um, in in Nevada and uh, so I guess you know I predicted this several weeks ago that Bernie would be the Democratic nominee the He's got some things the establishment doesn't like, even though he's you know he's he's an outright socialist. Um, but you know others are starting to call it too that Bernie's going to be the Democrat nominee, you know. And and seriously, well, speaking, well, you cannot expect to win a presidential race if you're a socialist in a booming economy. You can't. Sorry. <laughs> just you know. So Trump's gonna win. If it was twenty sixteen it would be different, but you know, uh you can't win. Socialism can't win in a booming economy. You just you just can't. And so, you know, I I don't see anybody who can beat Trump. Um, unless you have a libertarian debate. The because uh, oh I would love to uh Bring a libertarian perspective, libertarian, Democrat, Republican. You know, libertarians are saying. Well, what I tell you what, no, 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 no. Let me let me tell you something. And you know me, and then and then I want to bring Mike in after this, Kelly. And then of course everyone's Mike's on. But let me tell you this: you know I support third parties and alternative parties. There better not be a libertarian or even a more more so than a Constitution party. But there's, I do not want to see any third party. Uh, any like libertarian try to get up there for uh, the presidential candidate. I won't talk about them except blasting them. I won't give them any kudos uh, because this is not the time. And you know that's very rare for me to say that. I mean, I mean, at least on the presidential election. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm supporting the guy who's from the the Roos Independent in in New Jersey for the Senate. But there's no way in hell that I would support. 
any alternate alternate candidate um, for president. There's there, there's not there's not there isn't. I I would not extol any of them. I wouldn't you know. I just wouldn't. I mean it's it's it is too important for Trump to get reelected than to give any support to anyone else. Because let's be, I mean, because Trump's not a, he's not a Republican. We were saying that with our guest tonight. He's not a Republican. I, I say he's a populist nationalist is what I would, is what I call him. And we'll, we'll continue that more, but I do want to bring, I'm going to bring Mike in um, uh, to the program. Cause we only got about, you know, about, you know, 40 minutes before I have to shut things down. Uh, so I want to be able to get him in. Uh, but thank you very much, Mike, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. One thing I wanted to do was underscore what the other gentleman just said about uh, the insult to farmers and everything, but there's a disconnect that a lot of people don't understand uh, between these politicians, if that's what you want to call these these people that are, I don't know what they are anymore, uh, that are in office and running for office and the real world. And it was, I'll tell you, it was really brought up to a lot of us here in New York and Neon uh, several years ago. I think it was about three or four years ago. We have a politician who was an assemblyman, and now he's a senator, very conservative, pro-gun. His name is Jim Tedesco. Tedisco. Um, T-E-D-I-S-C-O. Well, he addressed, uh, it was a town hall meeting, a bunch of people, and there's a video of it on YouTube somewhere. There's a video, and he explained that Showing, talking about this disconnect The politicians from New York City Have no idea what farmers, ranchers Cattlemen, they don't know Anything about it whatsoever It's alien to them And yet it doesn't stop them from involving themselves Same thing with gun control In passing laws um, That would do it Now this one liberal Politician from New York City uh, Put a bill and he wanted it to bring it to the floor And everybody looked at him cross-eyed And said are you out of your mind are you? No, this has to be done. Why, what do you mean by that? His bill would require every farm in New York State, and you know how big some of these farms are. Every farm would have a porta potty on every acre of land, and everybody upstate, Why? all the upstate politicians, yes, all the upstate politicians looked at the guy and went, "For what? We have trees. What? What are you? Exactly. What are you talking about?" There's trees and bushes. Are you are you kidding me? Are you are you serious about this? A porta potty on every acre. How think about it, are you going to walk that? an acre to go pee? Yes. <laughs> what what is with this guy? Yeah, just but this is this is how disconnected they are. They're out of their minds. They're not. A, they're in a different reality than we are. They don't know anything about it whatsoever. So comments that uh, come out of Bloomberg or anybody else or Biden or any of they have no idea. And, uh, you know, they justify it. They think that all of a sudden, the minute they put that mantle on, look, I'm a, a public official, and I'm, I was elected by the people. Uh, good for you. We're all very impressed. Take a fucking tootsie roll and sit down. No, they're, they're nobody's, these idiots. And they think somehow magically that they've been ordained now, and that what they say is for the greater good. And I will look at AOC. Total, oh, that's another creature. I, I don't know... And, and you know where I am. I'm about an hour north of New York City. I'm just I'm surrounded by these people. Do you, know, do you know why we never had porta potties out in the field? 
This is back when I was working in the field walking beans or detasting corn, what have you. <laughs> it's real simple. Um, you're working in the sun and it's hot and you're sweating so much, you don't have to pee. If you do, no. you just go behind the big wheel of the tractor and you pee and who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? But can you imagine a politician who actually created, took the time to draft a bill requiring every, every acre of land to have a porta potty? And who's going to go empty those? And who's going to pay for <laughs> yeah. it? And some of these farms have hundreds of acres. Are you out of your mind? But they don't think about that. They don't think or think about no. This is well, look what I did. About it, they, probably, they probably had a porta potty. A relative. Uh, yeah, a relative in the porta potty business that would have made millions. Yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's how it works. It's just, but everybody got a laugh out of that. We were all just, are you serious? I so I I don't know anymore. I, and and New York's a perfect example of what we don't want to happen in the rest of the United States. New York, California. You know, it, it's. Can you imagine this? If you had politicians like that with that mentality that are. In the Midwest? Uh, no. Well here, well, well, here in in uh, Siskiyou County, we have a lot, a lot. I mean, tens of thousands of acres because we have valleys and mountains. It's absolutely beautiful here, but we still have valleys and, and uh, farmers and ranchers. Yes, and you uh, don't have porta potties, do you? Now, there's that. You guys are laughing. Oh hell, oh A local judge, man, he knows. Oh, gee, some guy's out there 400 yards out in the field peeing, and somebody from the big city drove by. Oh, he exposed my kid to somebody peeing. Okay, so you take him to court, and first of all, the officer would have to trespass on his land, but, you know, without due process, you take a, take a rancher before a judge, yeah. and the judge is, hey, are you out of your mind? I'm going to be, I won't be elected the next time uh, my election comes up for giving a giving a ticket to a farmer for peeing in his field. Are you, you out know, of your one mind? Of the, you know, one of the best it. one of the best ways that I ever saw a federal ever heard about a federal agent he was with the land, whatever that department is that the Bundy's went up against. What what's the name of that mafia? The uh, the Bureau Management, Land Bureau, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I worked for a, a lady that had a restaurant in Vail, Colorado for a couple of years. And in the off season, her father was a big sheep rancher, you know, and he talked like this, one of them guys and just down to earth. And oh shit, this is back in 78, 79. And what did I know about it? I'm from up near Boston. And what do I know about it? He said, can you ride a horse, boy? I was like, well, yeah. I can't do tricks and jump over stuff and fancy stuff. But yeah, I can ride. Okay, you're going to work sheep ranch with me. Okay. And what an experience. So I worked for a while. For I was up there with them sheep ranch. And, we'd, and you know how much land they've got up there. Not to mention what they own, but also land that they lease from the federal government. So, And he had padlocks. And for some of the gates that would go, depending because some of the land would overlap. And he pulled up to this one gate, and there's a house there. And. He said, oh, that's our house, and Ray Crow lives in that. We let him live there for nothing because he watched the gate. He's a, he's an alcoholic. He's harmless. You know, he's a veteran, a good guy. We sort of keep an eye on him, and he gets drunk, and he's fine. And, you know, sometimes he'll shoot off the back porch and just leave him. Come on, you're going to meet him. So we get up there, and 
Old Gus takes out his bottle of Canadian mist. He had in between the seats. He just picked it up. And he turns to me, winks, and says, Ray, you thirsty? Ray says, well, hell yeah, what you got? And hand him the bottle. And they start reminiscing. And uh, I said, what's it like? Don't you get visitors out there? He said, well, he said, remember that one time you had that new federal agent there, or the bureau? He said, they drove down. He said, the two of us were sitting right here, and we were talking just like we're doing now, and this car come out of nowhere. And he said, now there's a lot of miles of those roads, and that's all our property, and you can't get on that road unless you cut one of our locks on a gate to get on our property. Even if it's leased property to cut across, you got to cut a gate. you got to cut a lock. So this guy had no business being on that road, see? And uh, so he said he comes up to the gate, and Ray and I are just looking at him, and and he said, unlock this gate quick for him because I'm going to run out of gas. And and he said, I got to get gas and get into town. And he said, well, boy, you got a problem. You're not going through that gate. You're going to turn around. You're going to drive back the way you came. Because you probably cut the lock off the other gate. And he said, to get yourself here. He said, so. And he said, but I don't have enough gas to get back. And he said, I, I'm going to cut it myself. He said, I wouldn't do that. He said, because my friend right here, he said, he'll shoot you dead. Right? He said, what? He said, man, look at us, boy. He said, we're old. He said, what are they going to do to us? Life in jail? He said, you're young, man. You got your life ahead of you. Why are you going to be stupid and throw your life away? And argue with a couple of old timers like, uh, turn the vehicle around and drive back the way you came. I said, what happened? He said, he turned around and drove back. He said he ran out of gas. It was a long walk, but it taught him a lesson. It's good for them federal people to learn like that. I was like, holy shit. What? It's a different mentality. Now, you think the politicians in a major city or something, if they heard a story like that, they would freak. They'd call out the FBI and every agency they could. know There'd be investigations. That, but it's a down-to-earth, realistic, black or white way of life out there. And these people in the cities don't get that. Trump gets that. He gets it. He's able to connect with a lot of the people. I heard his speech tonight that he just gave and everything. And, and that connection that he has with the people aggravates the hell out of these Democrats because that's something they'll never have. They'll never understand. And uh, it's interesting to watch this play out. But I'll, I'll never forget that. How to handle... Here's this federal agent, federal new representative, checking out the land that he was responsible for, thinking that he's God. And having two, for all he knows, two ranchers tell him that we'll kill you. We're old men. What are they going to do to us? You got your lap ahead of you, boy. Don't be stupid. Yeah, that's a cool story. Do you you know what the difference is? You know what the difference is between God and a government agent? What's that? God doesn't think he's a government agent. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm gonna, I, I have a, I'm gonna have a purely um, I'm gonna have a purely Bard's logic after dark moment here. And I was wanting to watch uh, the uh, AOC. On, on the view today, because I heard she got her behind handed to her by uh, the conservative girl. And I mean, I don't watch; I don't even know the real of their names. Um, Megan McCain, I think her name is. 
Uh, she got her backside handed to her by Megan McCain. And, and I'm watching the video, and I'm thinking, I'm really enjoying watching this video of, H- of AOC. I'm really enjoying watching this thing. And then I'm like, it changed. And you know why it changed? I turned up the volume. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. But I, you know what? I was enjoying watching her on the on the show, and then it turned up the volume. <laughs> you know what all these people represent? There, all of these politicians that we're dealing with, Ilhar, Omar, whatever her name is, and the rest of them. It makes you look back at the people and wonder. What are these people like that are voting them in office? This is a disgrace to the people in those communities and everything that voted for her. Do they get it? No, they don't. It makes you wonder who these people are. What are they doing? They well, that is true. I mean, the other people who actually voted her in and Omar, you, you, you're 100% right there. Yeah, I mean, you get it there. It's a disgrace. I mean, we should be laughing not at the politicians alone, but – we should know more about the districts and, and really ridic- be ridiculing them, say, who are these people in these districts? Where do you find them? Is this some sort of a housing development thing the government had where you, you get the people that are handicapped and you put them all in the same area? What is this? How do you end up with such a, a, an idiot, a fool, that you, you put them in office? Uh, it reflects on them. It's pretty sad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean... I don't know if she'll get reelected, but we'll see. Well, due to the uh, census um, and the population changing in uh, a certain district, occasional cortex may not be eligible. There's, her seat might be gone. Yeah, no, it would not be great. I can see the Democrats doing something to, to finagle it to make sure that she's gone because she's caused them some grief. And this, this latest thing that she did, and I didn't see any follow-up on it, where she refused to pay her cut to the DNC for the money that she raised. Did you see that? Did you read about that? What's that? The amount of money, you know how they work to raise so much money for contributions? Oh, yeah. Upcoming? Well, there's a percentage that each each politician is supposed to kick back to the DNC. She's put 250000 Yeah, it's their dues. Right. She refused to pay it at first. I don't know if she ever did. And they fought yeah, I heard about that. Out. It was in the paper. Yep. And yeah, he, she know, refused he, to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, what do you think the DNC? I think it'll be worth it for the DNC. They got money involved now because you don't screw with the liberals' money. They take that very seriously. Well, well I tell you what. I, if she doesn't get reelected, I want to find out what bar she's going to work for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I want to find out. Not I want to would... find out because uh, well, she could go, she'll go back to bartending. At least that's her best bet, in my opinion. Because I want to order. A, you know what? I would just. I just. I just want to go up to AOC and say, go up to the bar and say, I want to order two slippery nipples. <laughs> <laughs> just to get a reaction. Don't think that happened. You know? That's an actual drink. I mean, I'm being extra bad, I guess. No, I know. But I don't even know what's. I don't even know what's in those. I don't even know what's in the drink. But you know, I mean, I just I don't like her because I I just feel well for one, she deserves behind. Yeah, and I'm not trying to disparage, you know, 
you know, people who are bartenders. I mean, I was a bartender for a while, so you know that you know it's fine. But I mean, I don't know. I just, I just, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage those people at all. And I know it's gonna sound bad, just you know. Right. But I mean, I just, I just don't like, and I just, I would, and you know what? I mean, I'm not. I don't technically like disrespecting people, but she's actually somebody I probably wouldn't mind disrespecting just because. No, she's you know she's an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's just like she's not qualified you know, to be in the position that she's in. She shouldn't be in that yeah. in that I, position in that capacity. Certain people should not do. There are certain jobs they're not qualified for. I'm sorry, but if I take a taxi drive, that taxi driver should not be named as the Pope next week. No, I, no. You, you, you know, and I certainly don't want to see him as a neurosurgeon somewhere. No, he's good at what he does. He's a you know, I I work in a kitchen. I cook. I have an apron. I, that's what I do. I'm not a psychiatrist, and I'm I would never take a job. Or no, yeah, just certain things that you know that's above my pay grade, and I recognize it. Certain things, but her all of a sudden poof, no. You know, so she doesn't deserve the respect all of a sudden because she's got the label and the rank. Well, this is who I am now. Well, good for you. Enjoy it while you're there for a short time. Make sure you print up a lot of cards. I would like to, uh, in, say, in 2024, and she's a bartender, go to her bar and say, hey, I'm with the Bernie Sanders campaign. Let's go to Kansas, all expenses paid, and you can help turn the state red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she, well, she actually she's got it on. She's with Bernie Sanders, and she's like, yeah, we're in Kansas, and we're going to turn the state red. Uh, the color's blue. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> I don't think she'll ever work yeah, in another. Unless did, she you wanna, did you want to add anything into that? Uh, let, let's uh, uh, bring it back to the Joseph. Okay, you want to add anything, to Joseph? I know we're being a little, little bad. We're we're being bad guys here, but uh, so you might not want to be cavorting with us right now. But <laughs> no, 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 no. I I, I was just about to. Uh... Play the song uh, "Bad to the Bone," but no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I, oh no, I, I bet you're pretty some... good for the. <laughs> that's terrible. Well, that, oh my god, that's terrible. On my, on my phone, it's realistic. I could no, 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 just kidding. But um, <laughs> here, he, here uh. are my comments about Michael Bloomberg and and Robert. You know, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I don't condone that type of vitriol where you have to mock someone's family where you have to go into the mud, where you have to mock somebody. Even even Donald Trump, I said, was wrong when he called Marco Little Marco. You know, I didn't think that was necessary. Um, you know, so I, I don't like to see that either. But at the end of the day, uh, Michael Bloomberg is his own worst enemy. And not because he's a, a billionaire. It's because he was crazy enough to enter in a race where the party in its over 200-year history, this is the farthest to the left they've ever gone, thinking that his comments and his support in 2004 to George W. Bush and him running as a former Republican was not going to catch up with him. And sometimes I wonder, geez, you know, everyone thinks he's so smart, but he he lacked the common sense. What, what did he expect was going to happen when he joined this race, where om- almost everyone on the stage is a socialist, except for Klobuchar and Buttigieg, 
And, well, Joe Biden doesn't have a chance in hell. He was, a, he was a horrible vice president to begin with. What did he expect? Did he think the party was going to embrace him? Uh, you know, and, and he said a lot of controversial comments over his tenure, some that I don't care even if he was running as a Republican, I find to be very offensive. Did he think that was not going to catch up with him? The Democratic Party does not want another billionaire running in the race. And the fact that he has the personality of a raccoon, as I said earlier before, when I saw the entire debate, because uh, as I was chiming into the show, I always put the mute button on. So I was listening to the show and the debate. So I was able oh, to finish good. the, the whole two hours. Exactly. But you see, his face is, is like a stone wall. Like he has this face that looks like he just came from a funeral. He has no charisma. He has no personality. He, the, he, he doesn't, he can't reach to people. Um, so he has a lot of, a lot of things against him. Uh, and at the same time, this comment, quote, I could teach anyone, anybody, even people in this room, no offense intended, to be a farmer. It's a process. You dig a hole. You put a seed in. You put dirt on top. Add water. Up comes the corn. You could learn that. So, you know, I, I just think that the Democratic establishment is so desperate. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't see them pushing Bloomberg. I think that's just the fake news media propaganda. They're not pushing Bloomberg because if they were, when I put on MSNBC and CNN, they're bashing Bloomberg. The left is bashing Bloomberg. Um, And what Fox has done is, and I know we're not all fans of Fox, but at least I give him credit. Fox has remained neutrality, but what they have done is simply the truth in journalism, which is to bring up his previous repulsive comments that he's made over over the course of his uh, career. And so at the end of the day, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't agree with Bernie Sanders, but shame on the Democratic Party if they try to sabotage him. If he is the front runner and he legitimately wins the nomination, he ha- he has earned that right. And just because I disagree with him on every fundamental level doesn't mean I'm going to cross the line of beyond no return, in my opinion, and say that if I don't agree with him, he deserves to be shafted. He deserves to have the election stolen from him a second time. No, because that's the same argument the liberals want to make about Trump. They can't get over the fact that he won fair and square. So that's why they've been propagating this whole Russia hoax and this failed impeachment. We how we wouldn't be doing any better if we did the same thing for Sanders. If we truly in our heart wish for Sanders to be sabotaged because we find him to be so radical, then we're, we might as well look at ourselves in the mirror because we're just, we're just being hypocrites. So at the end of the day, if he wins the nomination, he's earned the right to do so, even though I disagree with him on every level. And then that's where Trump comes in and he makes his case. He makes his argument. He talks about his successful record for four years. Are we better off than we were four years ago? He makes his case to the American people like you do in a general election. 
Sanders makes his case to American people. And then we let the American, the voice and the will of the American people speak at the ballot box. And that is my true, true feelings in my heart. And I tell you one more thing. If they do shaft Bernie Sanders a second time, what's going to happen is what many of the Bernie Sanders voters vowed they would do is they would vote for Trump. And that's the, you know, you know what I'm saying? And that, that, that's how loyal they are to Bernie Sanders at the end of the day. And the DNC would be making the stupidest move, which wouldn't surprise me because they haven't been able to get anything right since 2008. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to shaft him. The repercussions are going to be detrimental to the Democratic Party, which is just going to make Trump's case more um, powerful, more effective, and more appealing because Trump is going to be like, look, the Democratic Party is imploding, but this, this is not why I'm campaigning for re-election. This is not – I'm campaigning for re-election because I promised to drain the swamp. This is what I've done in the four years I've been elected. Let me ask you this question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? If the answer is yes – then reelect me and let me finish my agenda in the next four years. And here's my agenda, A, B, C, D, and E. So if Sanders has to go up against Trump, Sanders doesn't stand a chance in hell and he knows it. His, his base are the, millennial, the, the millennials. They don't make enough of the population to swing the electoral college's way. And that's why the establishment is so desperate. But I'll leave you with this last – and this is really sad for the Democratic Party. You would have thought that after 2016, when they suffered the most massive losses on a nationwide scale in over 100 years, you would have thought that would have awoken them from their dogmatic slumber, right? Common sense. You would have thought reality would have hit them, and they would have said, okay, this is a, this is a, 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 a wake-up call. The, the, the left of the party that Barack Obama took us to is obviously not working. We've been repudiated on every level, at the state, at the federal. We lost governorships. We need to go back to what worked and build on it, and that is being moderate, being centrist like Bill Clinton was, being blue dogs. And you would have thought that they would be there by now. And if anything, every time you hear them speak, they drift more to the left, to the left, to the left. Not like the Beyonce song. They're not going to the right, to the right, to the right. (laughs) And at the end of the day, you know, um, my final comment on AOC is she thinks that she has public opinion behind her and that that's enough. To defeat the democratic establishment, then she is as dumb as she truly is. Because let me tell you something. You're right, Robert. One thing the DNC will never allow and has never allowed is you don't mess with the establishment's finances. You do that and you have committed political suicide. So one day, which will be pretty soon… What they're going to do is they're going to run someone against AOC in the next election. 
They're going to put so much money behind them that AOC is not going to stand a chance. And when I go back home one day to visit, if she is a bartender, I'm going to be kind to her. I'll give her a 50 cents tip. <laughs> and if she gives me a disparaging look, I'll say, well, this is the redistribution of wealth. See, I'm giving you less of a tip so that my tax dollars can go to more of the poor. So by giving you less, it allows me to give more and redistribute to everyone. Well, what's the matter? Oh, you don't like 50 cents? You were advocating for, you know, the middle class and the lower class and, you know, people paying their fair share. I'm sorry. I'll give you a dollar. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I'll leave it at that. Okay, I was being cruel. I'm sorry, Robert. Fifty cents is. I'm sorry. I, I would. I would tip her. No, no. If I were in a that, bar, that's okay. I give her a dollar. It'll, it'll give her two quarters to rub together. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> oh man, I just opened up for a great, great joke, but I decided not to take that one. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, well, I do see it's the top of the hour. I've got to close things out in about uh, seven minutes. And so that leaves a, a couple minutes for us to do uh, our closing comments. Uh, and so we'll, we'll go ahead and, and do that. Uh, unfortunately, it was a great show tonight. Appreciate everyone coming on. I really appreciate having the guests. Looking forward to having uh, him and uh, other uh, guests back on. So what we'll do here with our closing comments is we'll go to you, Mike, and then Kelly. And then I'll have to – I'll give a couple of uh, my uh, – myself, uh, if there's any – uh, room, I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Uh, any more time left, I'll bring it back to you, Joseph, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Or if, if <clears throat> you know, we'll just use the time that uh, uh, we've got left. Uh, so go ahead, Mike. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Hello. Okay. Um, what I think about Bloomberg, I've got. I mean, after dealing with him here in New York for long enough and seeing him in action. I really think that he's a wild card that they're tolerating. The Democrats are letting him play because this is a game for him, letting him play because he's funding it. It's not costing them anything. And if he is useful later on as a tool to drain off votes or get anybody to support him, they can maybe use him as a tool if they can. If he's still around in the fall and maybe running as an independent, um, then maybe he'll help make sure that Bernie doesn't get anything if Bernie's the one chosen or something, but they've just got him as a wild card on the side and they're tolerating him. Does he really have a chance? I think absolutely not. With everything that man's been involved with, and I mean, whether it's the SAFE Act here in New York, which his people are the ones that wrote it, funding for every town, the money that he put into the Virginia election to make sure and giving them the the new updated uh, SAFE Act, which they tried passing, which didn't get through, thankfully, but everything. And all the anti-gun bills and everything he's worked on behind the scenes. Do you know what the gun owners nationwide think of this guy? Forget it. He doesn't have a chance just on that. Never mind stop and frisk and all the other stuff and the comments that he's made and everything. He's got so much baggage with him, he doesn't have a chance. But one of the reasons that he's, he's running is people like him, he's got a, an ego on him that he loves the limelight. He loves the spotlight. And even if it costs him money out of his pocket, he's relevant. And so he loves being on that stage. And this is something that gives him a, you know, a purpose in life and also just reinforces. He feeds off the attention and everything. Look at me. I'm special. 
And this is another feather in his hat. I think deep down he knows he doesn't have a chance of doing it. But he got a delay, so he doesn't have to um, present his personal funds or any of his uh, financial information. They delayed that. And also he said, well, if I do get elected, I'll sell off my business. He'll never sell off it because he's never going to get elected. But he knows it's just a ploy. It's all part of the game. So I don't take him seriously at all. He's just something that uh, that they put up there. And uh, so it's just part of the show. Anyway, that's my feeling on Bloomberg. And supposedly it's worth $62 billion. So what? So what is it if he only spends two to – you know, have some fun playing uh, presidential candidate. <laughs> Go ahead, Kelly. Yeah. Well, it was <clears throat> quite interesting to see how the Democrats were destroying each other. <clears throat> and it was brutal and it was ugly and it's representative of the party. You know, the Republicans did it too. Um, so, boy. <laughs> we shall see come November, see what happens. Back to you. Okay, well, um, you know, I certainly appreciate uh, you guys. And uh, we've got just about a a minute or so before I have to do my closing uh, comments. So uh, since they they shortened theirs from two minutes, so any other closing comments there, Joseph? Uh, Yes. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up in the previous shows, um, especially as we get close to election cycle, is uh, when I first started chiming into your show, I believe in 2013, is actually bringing back the roundtable. I thought that was uh, one of my favorite segments of the show and bring back the roundtable, if not on a permanent basis, just at least you know bring it uh, for the, you know the duration of the election cycle and maybe dedicate 15 to 20 minutes uh, per show, just, just focusing on, uh, you know, the latest uh, in uh, uh, going on with the, uh, the election cycle. And uh, for having me on your show. It's always a privilege and pleasure and an honor and look forward to chiming in next week. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, try to bring things back around, uh, you know, get some guests. I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about from now until uh, November. Then again, you know, always appreciate everyone coming on. Uh, as of right now, we don't have uh, a set guest for next week. Uh, I am do got a couple things in the in the fire. Uh, if anyone does have it, I said, you know, someone they'd like to have on, just go ahead and let me know and reach out to them. You know, give me a little information on it. We can you know, probably get them on uh, to the show. Uh, you know, just let me know how much uh, time that they'll be able to, to spend with us as well. You know what topics and, and things of that nature. Uh, and definitely, folks, uh, you know, check out uh, you know our website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Also, uh, you know, I know you're not from uh, from New Jersey, but uh, definitely a you know candidate uh, that you know I like, and uh, I think he'd uh, do well. It'd be great to see him uh, get in the Senate. And that's at Burke, and then the number four uh, Senate.com. Uh, so definitely uh, check that out. Um, and then also, uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, you know our, our guest back on tonight, uh, Mark Billington. And I tell you, he's been some he's been through some stuff too. But you know, again, I will uh, go ahead and uh, close out the night as I do every night, and that is uh, with the song by Aubrey ba- Ashburn. And uh, while she's not doing the music stuff anymore, she is doing art, and perhaps uh, one day I will actually <laughs> be able to uh, afford getting some of her art. I think it's like. 
you know, like a couple thousand or something like that, dollars like that uh, for one of her paintings. So I think it'd be kind of kind of cool to have one. Uh, so yeah, yeah, maybe in the future it'll be kind of neat. Maybe uh, I, I haven't uh, reached out to her for a while. I think I did invite her on the show uh, some time ago, but I, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of follow up because uh, we were just commenting on Facebook. And then I honestly, as you know, I don't spend uh, a lot of time on on Facebook. <laughs> so not as much as I used to. I spend a lot more time on Twitter because uh, that just seems to be you know where it's at. And also on Facebook, it just seemed like it was just like a lot of even on the so-called debate stage, you know, debate pages, really wasn't a lot of debating. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll uh, hear from uh, the, the song, and I hope you guys have a good night, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. 